1: Well, hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is a Tuesday, December the 13th, 2022. This is episode 3216 of the Survival Podcast, and we're going to put this one... On the Bitcoin Breakout feed, too. It'll be episode 29 for that, though we're not going to talk much about Bitcoin today. We're going to be talking uh, to Texas Slim once again. He's coming on back to the Survival Podcast to talk about the work he's doing through something called the Beef Initiative. And Bitcoin happens to be a method of payment in the Beef Initiative. This is where you buy directly from your own rancher. Shake your rancher's hand. We're going to be talking about regenerative agriculture, uh, regenerative ranching, I guess would be a better way to put it for this discussion, Uh, grazing cattle, some real interesting information about the history of beef in America as well. We're going to be talking about a ton of stuff today uh, that if you don't ever want to ever touch, see, look at a Bitcoin... You still want to hear this. And if you do like Bitcoin, you still want to hear this. That's the whole point of the Bitcoin breakout, building these bridges between the two worlds. When a person starts to seek truth, whether they seek it in diet, whether they seek it in in the world of so-called politics, they seek it in the world of of health and medicine, they seek it in the world of nutrition, uh, they seek it in the monetary world, as they start to find truth and they pull threads, they start to build these bridges together. There's lots of overlap. Before we do that, Let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Start9 Embassy Servers. I love Start9. I'm very excited. I should be getting my brand new Embassy Pro today. I got an email today from FedEx or UPS or whoever the hell it was saying it was in route and slated to be delivered today. I'm very excited to get the new upgraded badass super server in. You can get one, too, or you can get the Embassy one. Either one will work great. Either one, if you use your MSB discount, will cover your MSB membership in spades out of the gate with a 9% discount. Those of you who are using the Fold card do know this. Start 9's in Fold. You can buy a Start 9 gift card in Fold, use it for your payment, and effectively get an 18% discount. That's pretty badass. Start 9 Embassy servers are the way to take back your digital sovereignty. You can learn more, you guessed it, at Start9.com. Next up today, Paul Wheaton has a PDC that sells out every year run by Alan Booker. We have early bird tickets. How early? The PDC is in either June or July. I don't remember which. June or July of this year. You can learn all about it in the write-up and the sales page that Paul has for it. This is an advanced PDC. and If you are one of the first 10 students to book a seat at it, it is stupid cheap for what it is. This is a PDC for advanced practitioners, people that already have some permaculture or landscaping or professional engineering under their belt, and they want to take it to the next level. Atlin is an amazing instructor. You can learn more just by going to today's episode of the Survival Podcast and looking for today's episode, which again is thirty-two sixteen. And in the notes, you can find a link to that, or just go to survivalpodcast.com, start scrolling down. You'll find all the information about it there. Again, this is an advanced PDC, uh, one of the best you could ever book. It sells out every year, and right now you can get an extreme discount. Uh, the uh, The only piece in this is you'll have to get yourself to the wilds of Montana, but there's worse places to be in the summertime in the mountains of Montana, I can tell you that. With that, let's drop on into the live feed and say hello to Texas Slim. And with that, we are live, and it's my great pleasure to welcome back to the Survival Podcast and the Bitcoin Breakout, Texas Slim. Slim, welcome back to the show, man. Hello, sir. I'm very happy to be
0: back. Uh, The first time we were here on the very first one we did, I've I've continuously, people say, hey, I heard you on uh, Survival. So uh, I appreciate you. I, I like coming back and having these discussions. You and I have uh, got to see each other in a couple places yeah. since the podcast and everything. So it's it's good to kind of give a refresher to everybody and let everybody know what's going on.
1: Yeah, we got to meet and meet up up here. I, I know you're doing some work with John Bush. Uh, I'll probably mm-hmm. see you either this winter or this spring with one of the things going on down there. My guess would be I know you all had something going on at the beginning of December and John asked me to come and I was like, Dude, that's a week after my workshop. I'm I'm still comatose. And then I had two computers die. And you don't need to hear my sob story, but yeah, it was like, now I well, can't. I've got one. To,
0: I've got one to join in. We can sob together. <laughs> sob
1: together. <We laughs> yeah, all yeah so I was on I their was sob sob stories. the
0: first of December. I, that's where I launched out before I went off to Tennessee. Was over there in Bastrop. So.
1: Uh, well, real quick, before, uh Slim and I get into this, just real quick, you'll see down there in the screen, I will never ask you for any personal information or private chat, etc. in the video comments, just because you see my logo does not mean it's me. Anybody can cut and paste, and they do, and I will never ask you for, you know, like your seed phrase or something like that for you Bitcoiners or any other private information. Never believe it. Anyway, man, let, let's start talking. What have you been up to since the last time you've been on? You've been traveling all over the country Mm -hmm. Doing presentations, bringing ranchers together with the communities. Tell us a little bit about this kind of like world tour. I guess it's a U.S. tour that you've been on.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, in the beginning, you know, last year, I guess it was last November. You know, I knew what I'd do, you know, is is the way I have to approach everything. It's got to be grassroots. You know, we can't do this any other way. You've got to get out there in the field, per se. And so last year I said I was going to have four micro summits or conferences or events, whatever you want to call them, last year. They've now become micro summits, and we had we actually had one major summit. But what they've been is they've been gatherings, and they've been places and destination spots. And so we had one in um, Texas. We kicked it off. And then, of course, we had one in uh, Georgia out at White Oak Pastures, we had one of my favorite ones was out at Jason and Rick's Ranch, Rick Ranches in Colorado. And then we had a kill it and grill it kind of a celebration down in Luling at our processing plant with our partnership with Cole, with K&C Cattle. And then I just drove in late last night from Tennessee. And at the beginning of uh, of the year, I said, man, I need to get to Nashville. There's a great group of Bitcoiners there at Bitcoin Park. And, man, they are organized. And I said, I want to have a headquarters of the Beef Initiative. And, you know, throughout the year, we had all these different summits across the United States. And I've been asked to go speak. I've been all the way to Idaho, all the way to Florida, you know, Carolinas. I've been all over the country. And a lot of it was me driving. A lot of people actually did invite me out and, you know, flew me out. And so we've been creating this grassroots movement that has just taken off. And it's, it's been fantastic because of the sport. And, you know, we just finished in uh, Tennessee. I left on the 1st of December. Uh, I was there in Bastrop with the greater reset guys with John Bush. And we had a, a Saturday there and there was kind of a workshop. So I left out of there. I think I spoke seven different speaking engagements in 10 days since the 1st of December, and we, what had happened is because we've done all this, people are paying attention, right? And so we had Brooke Miller, which is the president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. They had their uh, national convention this year in Nashville. So he asked us to be on a panel with ranchers and bitcoiners for me to put that panel together so we could present to the producers of the United States and the U.S. Cattlemen's Association So I said, well, if we're going to be in Nashville, we're going to have a micro summit at Bitcoin Park. And so those guys rallied and they really uh, they stepped up to the plate. We just had a fantastic micro summit there in Nashville. And then, uh, you know, it's just been that continuous growth and continuous uh, understanding what we're doing with the beef initiative. And we're we're ready to go into 2023. And you talked about World Tour. Well, it's about to happen because uh, the Australian Beef Initiative is now its own entity. And those guys have organized and they're flying me over to Australia for a month at the beginning of February. So this Beef Initiative thing that started in Texas is now going global. And people are organizing, they're coordinating, and they're basically decentralizing their food systems. And it's based on beef and Bitcoin.
1: That's awesome that have you've already spread it to Australia. Tell people a little bit about how this all started. What what made you start the beef initiative, and and, and what were your goals from the beginning, and have they evolved or changed since you started?
0: Well, you know, I I, I kind of my podcast we renamed it. It's called I Am Texas Slim, and what that it has a meaning behind that. But what had happened about three years ago, man, I I got really sick and uh, I damn near died. I had an internal injury and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And my long story short, my kidneys broke down and I went through a major change. I got down to like 120 pounds. So I had to, you know, I had to, my life had to be saved in a certain way and they had to drain fluids out of me. My kidneys were shutting down. They gave me like five weeks to live. I mean, I was pre- I looked like a damn Holocaust victim. And so, what I did, I wasn't always unhealthy and stuff. I've just kind of i got a lot of broken bones and I get hurt a lot. But beyond that, you know, I'm not an unhealthy guy. It's just that I I had to look at food and seeing what nutrition was again. And I dove down and I I create I come from research and, and analysis and big tech. That's what was. That was that was my profession. But I come from agriculture and ranching where I grew up in the in the Texas panhandle. So I put a bunch of skill sets together and I started doing a deep dive down into the industrial food complex. What is nutrition? How I was raised? And I created a whole new protocol. And it was called food intelligence. And I wrote an article, and it's called "The Harvest of Deception." I had no idea about the beef initiative at that time. It was really uncovering the basically the the uh, the corruption and the deception within our food supply systems, and how it's basically metabolically bankrupted a nation, and it's basically killing generations of children because of a of an adult consumption model that they've en- engineered into our lives. And so by getting all this research and analysis, I said, man, I'm going to start living like I did, you know, like my grandfather taught me. We grew up with this, uh, uh, you know, a freezer full of beef and it was locally grown, locally sourced, and it was a community-based food system. And I said, this is what we're going to do. And at that same time, I got down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And so collectively, they became part of my, you know, vision as far as how I was going to approach this how I was going to build it out, and I knew that it had to be community-based, it had to be grassroots, and I had to have a low-time preference, and I had to start from scratch, man. This is not a marketing plan. This is a way of life. It's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a way to exit out of all this bullshit, and I don't even pay attention to all the nefarious crap going on anymore now. I'm too focused on building instead of parroting all the fear porn that everybody does every day.
1: Yeah, you know, when you're talking about, you know, eating beef and local beef, it makes me think back. I'm right around 50 years old. I'm not mm-hmm. that old. I feel older every day, but I'm not that old. Mm-hmm. And I remember growing up in central Pennsylvania and my grandmother had two people that came by the place once a week, the butcher and the farmer. Yeah. And the farmer had like milk and eggs and stuff like that and the butcher had, well, meat, beef and pork primarily. And, and I remember that we, we almost never got beef. You know, we were homesteaders. We had a small holding and all, but we didn't, we didn't have enough land to even think about having a, a cow, right. one, let alone a herd. So we, we, we couldn't do that for ourselves. We lived on a lot of venison and, and things like that as well. But I don't remember sourcing much beef from the, the supermarket. And I, I kind of feel like that was kind of the last of that world that even in like a bigger city like that was already not happening. I mean this would be the late 70s early 80s. You're right. And it was that, happening. Yeah. Yeah, there was very few places left even then, but then you go back not much further and it was that was typical, right? I I remember my grandmother and this butcher Archie, they, they had this like constant dance. It wasn't a beef thing. It was freaking ham. Anytime she wanted a ham, he she'd say she wanted a ham and he'd say which half and she'd say well the better half. Right. (laughs) Right. And I kind of miss that connection, you know, that we used to have. And that seems like a big part of what you're trying to bring back in a different way, but the same type of thing. Know the person who's actually producing your food.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, and and it's, it's so simple. It gets complicated. A lot of people because we've been separated from, you know, exactly how our, you know, our grandparents or great grandparents did things. And that's the beautiful thing about it is we're not reinventing, you know, the basically, uh, the wheel here. What we're doing is we're just taking a step back. You know, you look at how we used to source our food and it was, it was very simple and community based. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize you need to be eating where you're standing. You need to be eating the food where you're standing from that soil in which you stand and you're grounded. There's so much, you know, food intelligence that goes in, you know, In, in, you're right. You're in Pennsylvania. I was in Texas. I was in the Texas panhandle, man. This is cattle country. Yeah. And so beef was our thing, right? And I always tell people, well, this is a beef initiative, but it's really about clean, locally sourced food. Sure. You know, everybody's going to have their demographics and their geography to where they have to, you know, look at what they, what is popular in that area. Sometimes it's fowl, sometimes it's hog, sometimes it's a combination of whatever, sometimes it's seafood. And, you know, I I just met somebody there in Luling, Texas, that does uh, lobster and uh, crab and all kinds of different things. Oh, wow. And so they're wanting to be part of the beef initiative. I'm saying, hell yeah, because they want to get locally sourced, you know, to their community. Mm-hmm. So if we look at it, we have to take a step back and we have to educate ourselves. Where did we come from? People don't know where food comes from anymore. They think They think they're doing good because they get something from Costco instead of, you know, Walmart. And it's just like, man, it's the same distribution model. It says
1: all natural on the
0: label. (laughs) Don't get me me started, man. All the the damn labeling laws. And once again, I always have to say that, man, acceptance is a key, man. If you can accept that it's bullshit, then it's bullshit and you need to move on and quit validating the damn deceptions and quit trying to think that you're kind of, you know, what are you being decadent whenever you, you buy from Whole Foods and it says grass-fed and organic and all natural. No. You have to know where your food comes from if you're going to be very intentional about your health moving forward. Our yeah. health of our nation is compromised, man. We cannot argue. There is no argument anymore, and it's not a judgment. We've all participated, but we've got to, you know, we. that's why I say, I mean, we, we're starting over here, but it's not a hard reinvention of the will, it's just leveraging what the hell was powerful about where we came from, and yeah. what, what an exciting opportunity to be able to do that and say, "Hey, you guys go eat that crap. We're not going to. We're not breaking any rules. We're 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 doing our own thing. You guys go do your thing. We're going to do ours."
1: Yeah, and I think there is something to the local thing with health overall. Now, I'm not saying if somebody lives like I do near Dallas, if I get my beef from I don't know why I would do this, but let's say Kansas. Yeah. Um I'm not saying it's bad for me. I'm saying it may actually be better for me. Sure. To get food locally, I had Jeff Lawton on this show many times but many many years ago I remember we were talking about longevity. And he, and he's he's probably the top permaculturist alive in the world today and he said if you want to get right into it, don't go nowhere, stay where you are, put your hands in the dirt where you live, grow the food where you live, eat the food where you live, get bit by the bugs that live where you live and you'll probably live to be a 100 years old. Yep. And and I think there is something in that what you're exposed to and what is good for you to to uh, to counter the things that you're exposed to are where you are. Both sides of that are true. I, you know, I raise fish in my backyard ponds and people are like well, what fish do you use. I'm like, I use bluegills and I use uh, channel cats and I use bullhead catfish and I use them all from local streams because local fish get local diseases and have local disease resistance. And I think that's true for us too,
0: a hundred percent. I mean, you look at a lot of these ranchers and they are you know a lot of ranchers are beekeepers, and you're like, well, why is that? well they're pollinating you know they're doing the local thing. those bees are actually you know the, it, sometimes they'll do their own forage, their own grass, or whatever they're doing as far as you know feeding out the cattle and so there's there is something to be said about you know l- sourcing your local um you know from your bees to your soil to your grasses to your insect bites to your diseases like you say i mean if you if you know anything about you know ancient history and stuff you you know read stuff like in, in the empire of china you know the dao that it, it talks about hey man the more that you localize the more that you get grounded in where you are the less you care about the nefarious things of the world Yes you may see the boats in the bay but you will never get on that ship to take that ship to somewhere else because you're too contented with where you stand and what that means is that if we can be content in where which we are with our food systems your your peace of mind is going to be better you're going to have better strength you're going to have a you know the 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 nutritional starvation is something that is hard to register in people's minds because they're probably suffering from it themselves You know, we all have inflammation in our bodies, and that's basically been driven by the industrial food complex, where you have catfish in Texas that are spawned in Texas, ship to China, ship back from China to Texas and then here you are eating catfish that's been around the world that's been fed how many commodities that are yeah. basically fake commodities that are just making people richer and richer and making you more stupid and more freaking unhealthy, you know. It's 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 the here. We we have to face the realities
1: of it. To me there's also the concept I've been saying this a lot lately that food security is the first security. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was in the military for just a few years, but I, I was sent into Central america for for most of that time, and I did several deployments into truly impoverished areas, like we were building roads uh, with combat engineers because there were no roads like that right. kind of uh, of remote area and If you want to see a place where security's lacking, go to a place without food security and all the rest of the things that we think of as security, like not having people steal from you or harm you or murder you. Right. All of that goes away the minute that there isn't food security because people that would otherwise never harm a soul when they're not sure that their children will eat tomorrow will do yeah. horrible things to make sure their children eat tomorrow. And it's it's insane to me that we even have the word food desert in the United States of freaking America mm-hmm. where we are blessed with more productive land per acre of what we have than probably anywhere else in the world. There's nothing we can't produce. There's things that we produce in abundance. I kind of wish we weren't producing. I'd rather produce more meat uh, and and less grain, Mm -hmm. but there is nothing we can't produce beyond our needs. And yet we still import massive amounts of food for a few years in the past decade. We were actually net food importers versus exporters. And, And that doesn't make any sense to me at all. But it does make it does make sense that we've allowed it to happen. It does make sense because I know how the system works.
0: Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, we've centralized on a global level of, uh, you know, food production. And, you know, back in the early 70s, you know, they said we got to feed the world. Well, we never fed the world. We distributed our basically value across the world to the highest bidders, and we quit feeding our communities. Some of the strongest communities of the past are now the weakest as far as those food deserts that you speak of. I just drove 40 something thousand miles since June and most of the United States right now, small towns are they are food deserts and people don't realize that because they don't hit the road like, you know, they they might be on the interstates and stuff like that. But if you drive the back roads of the United States of America, most of them have a dollar general and a convenience store and maybe a walmart within reaching distance and that's how our kids are eating and the food systems in the public schools they're a joke i mean they're totally commoditized and subsidized you know they're coming from the same place as far as you know this food distribution that went global that basically gave us the 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 communities the small communities in the united states of america and now in the cities you know urban to rural. you you got the same type of food deserts and people really just really don't know how bad it's gotten because our food is so cheap that, you know, we can make it taste like anything and that's by design. And that's what everybody thinks is, you know, engineering a taste into a child's brain. You know, you've hijacked that kid's nutritional um, basically delivery system for the rest of its life. If you cannot get that child to break free from those chemicals and which now are being introduced by the thousands into this industrial food complex, and the more our nutritional uh, depletion happens the more they get creative with food science and the chemicals and you're seeing that right now because you know the war on beef you know there's so many different attacks on pure animal protein and they're saying well we're going to grow this crap in the labs it's yeah. happening it's an industrial food shift and it's a global industrial food shift and we had it in the 70s. And, you know, my childhood, they introduced soy burgers, you know, to, you know, Thursday day burgers in the middle of cattle country. We're eating soy yeah. burgers back in the 70s. That has never changed. And now they're they're putting it on steroids now.
1: Yeah. When I was in school, they they didn't call them soy burgers in right. the school lunch, but they were soy burgers. <laughs> yeah. Anybody with half a break knew it. Whatever it was, it wasn't meat or it wasn't all meat. That was for sure. It wasn't very good either, and that that was the seventies and eighties as well, yeah but that really started it, it an interesting thing to me is that no one ever tries to make cauliflower taste like meat. I'm sorry, nobody ever tries <laughs> to make meat taste like cauliflower. no they there's don't all kinds do that. of these imitation meats right? There's no yeah. imitation soy paste, right like let's make chicken taste like soy paste. that's not a thing It's like <laughs> they know and that, I do feel they know because the way we got here and I, I think a lot of people won't realize this. In the early 1900s and through the Great Depression, all these giant food companies today, most of them didn't exist yet. And they, they what they really were is they were science companies. They were technology companies. Yeah. They were chemistry companies. And what they figured out how to do is the nation got bigger and bigger, and we still didn't have – all of the you know, people didn't have refrigeration or whatever. how to be able to ship food from one place like, let's say, Chicago, the whole country. And you could eat the food and it wouldn't kill you from food poisoning. It wouldn't go bad. It would stabilize it. And in time, of course, everybody has a freezer and a refrigerator and a refrigerated section in the uh, grocery stores and what have you. Well, OK, great. But now with these giant companies that have been built up on this on this chemical scientific monopoly that they built for themselves different ways like there was it was there was a race to figure out how do you can soup that still tastes like soup and things like that so at that point they had the footprint and it didn't matter that at that point well we could be shipping meat everywhere no problem now it was how do we maintain it and then it became well if we had a little bit of this and a little bit of that then people eat more and then they buy more and then we make more money and that was just a logical progression over about 80 years yeah. And and so when you talk about it, people think you're, you're you're talking like some grand conspiracy or anything. I don't think it's a conspiracy. I think it's a logical progression. If you understand the roots of big food and I don't think it's so much they do it to do harm. I think they do harm. They don't care The the sure. only metric of measurement is the total dollars in profit per year. I remember being a kid, uh, Slim, and listening to this dude, I can't remember his name, but he worked for Ocean Spray. And he was the guy that was the first guy that got a company to switch from sugar, which is bad, to high fructose corn syrup, which is worse, to save money. And he bought, ironically, he bought a ranch in Wyoming Mm -hmm. that he paid for in cash just from his bonus that year. And they called it the sugar ranch. Yeah. Right. I mean, this this, this is just where you would end up if you did what was done.
0: And it's 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 a good point because everybody wants to go ahead and do that circle jerk of you know hey let's look look how they're how nefarious of them this is by design this is you know everything whatever it is it is right let's accept that it's run its course is what it has and Mm -hmm. how we know that it's run its course it basically is the health of a nation this is this last 50 years in which we've become metabolically bankrupt as a nation this is a new phenomenon in human history and people need to wake up i mean i'm just not some stupid cowboy up here saying eat beef man i've got doctors that report to me you've had doctors on your podcast the Mm. health of a nation has been compromised and people talk about you know national security they talk about the 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 wealth of a nation they talk about the debasement of our dollar well, we better start looking at basically our nutritional, basically value that we value as individuals to where we can turn some things around first individually, then in our communities, and then as a nation. And if we don't start doing it with our children right now, we can point the fingers all day long. We can say bad, bad, bad. That doesn't get us anywhere anymore. That's what a lot of people get trapped on social media doing every day of their life whenever they could be building out their own personal solutions to these issues. Like I said, if you can accept that this is bullshit, accept that it's bullshit and move on and let's yeah. go innovate. Let's and let's, let's the change course. Rather
1: than bitch about the problem, right? Like and yeah. we know it's the problem, that place you and I met. it's a fifteen minute drive from where I live now right. down to to that side of Fort Worth. If you take that drive and pay attention, you'll drive past two dialysis centers mm-hmm. and like the day, you know, in and out kind of like like the fast food version of a dialysis center. Yeah, th- that's insane. It is. They, I mean, you're getting to where there's as many dialysis clinics as there are subway restaurants well, on
0: that note. OK, th- thank you for bringing that up. I have a friend that just moved from, back from the Philippines and he was over there for about a year all of a sudden all across the philippines which has no reason to be diabetic in the in the philippines now their dialysis centers diabetic clinics are popping up all over the philippines they're government led they're basically subsidized by the chem- the pharmaceutical companies and you know i always like to tell people you know speaking of diabetes you know guess how much it takes to for each individual that's on insulin every year in the united states price of one big One bitcoin, around sixteen to seventeen thousand dollars right now for each individual. Well, now how many individuals are on insulin across the United States right now? You know, thirty to forty percent, something like that. You know, that it changes. I'm not even sure, but it's it's huge. And you know, more and more people are getting into that. But you're you're exactly right. This is big business, man. Being unhealthy and basically maintaining that. Compromised health is a huge, huge global industry that is making people very, very, very rich right now.
1: Yeah, and whether or not they caused it intentionally, they certainly are not interested in fixing it.
0: No, why would they?
1: Why would they? It doesn't help them. Let's talk about some of the stuff I have on my notes from you. uh, today. You mentioned a scholarship fund. What's that about? Well, what
0: we, you know, from the very beginning, I knew, and this is some statistics. I don't like to do that too much, but the average age of a rancher, 68, 68 years old right now, right around there. And so we're losing both about 40% of our, you know, of our basically intelligence when it comes to ranching in the United States. Our educational systems Have, you know, especially our institutional academic universities have been captured by the same companies that we talk about. The chemical and grain companies are the ones that really do a lot of agricultural, you know, education in this country. What I wanted to do is I wanted to because most of the ranchers that I talk to and the and the producers and the farmers, you know, whatever, I just say ranchers come Texas. But what they do, they they usually the very first thing they say, I say, you know, why do you do what you do? And they always have the same answer. It's because I'm an educator and they have lost a voice. So the beef initiative, one of the big pillars of strength of the beef initiative is that we're giving the great American rancher a voice again that has been stifled and it has been prohibited against. And what we're gonna do, I decided, okay, I throughout the years uh, was able to acquire one full Bitcoin. So I created some partnerships. And what I've done is I've partnershiped up with people like Unchained Capital. And I created the I Am Texas Slim Foundation. And what it is, it allows the Beef Initiative to give grants to ranchers. And so they can bring people to their ranch and begin educating a new generation of ranchers. If we don't do this, folks, we are going to lose access to animal protein and to the ranchers and lands themselves. This is happening and until we do something on a grassroots level, and until we allow the ranchers themselves to become the educators in which they are, we're going to lose everything. And so, what I was able to do was create a nonprofit foundation for the ranchers. And I said that we had one out in Colorado at uh, Rick Ranches, Jason and Rick. He's a first generational rancher, and he has a plethora of intelligence, of education, and everything. So he gets this first grant that we just that we announced in tennessee and people are able to donate to it through bitcoin or through fiat but all of the donations goes into that fund that foundation trust fund that actually i partners partnered up with unchained capital out of austin texas so what he's doing is he's already on the books he's got the blueprints and we're building out an internship program that he moves forward with in 2023 I have five ranchers that have applied to have the same grant given to them. But what I have to do is I have to go now. I've got the beef initiative established. We've got a good following for 2023 that's all I'm talking about, man. We've got to start over. We've got to start educating a young generation of wannabe ranchers that are not getting the intelligence. They don't have access to the land. They don't have access to the animals. They don't have access to the food intelligence and the beef intelligence that they're yearning for, and we're selling them short, and we're bridging the gap with this foundation from the rancher to the students. And even people that are basically maybe wanting to get out of the fiat mind or the centralized career path that they've chosen they have some money okay well now they can join that internship and they can help and they can actually re-educate maybe they want to go open up their own ranch themselves maybe they want to get into regenerative farming and ranching once again that's a pillar that's a that's a revenue strength now a pillar of revenue that jason rick of rick ranches gets to have he has one revenue stream right now and that's selling beef well let's create a revenue stream where he gets to educate and he gets to teach therefore he has more stability he has another pillar of strength that's what the foundation's about
1: and and spreading that education is so important because god knows that the educational apparatus in this country, just like the food apparatus, has been turned against the people. Oh, it's and a joke. our, our it, young people are being joke. educated that the most nutritious food in the world is killing the planet and melting ice, ice sheets. Exactly. Like, literally. And this is the dumbest thing. You have to. I, I hate to just throw out a word like stupid or dumb, but in, in reality, you have to be intentionally stupid. You might be willfully stupid versus actually stupid. To believe that cows are a problem when we used to have over 50 million bison running around in North America before the great catastrophes of the Younger Dryas, we had the the, 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 the uh, impact. If you if you converted it to cattle units of the megafauna in North America prior to the Younger Dryas period, would be a a, a a thousand times what it is today. We had sloths walking around that, that were the size of a freaking truck. Right. You know, we had we had bison when we got here, when the Europeans settled, but the bison antiquitous was about three times the size of the, the bison that are still around today. If you go, and I asked these people, so when you go to Africa and you see all those plains game over there and there's 9 million wildebeest migrating through one part of the Serengeti, do you think we should kill all of them? And they're like, no. I said, well, what's the difference between that a cow? Yeah. Well, the wildebeest is natural. The cow's not natural. Where'd it come from? Mars? <laughs> exactly. if, so, But if you take multi-generation of conditioning the mind that, that, that an educational institution is an authority versus a servant and you corrupt the diet at the same time so people can't think right, I'm back to the same thing. It doesn't have to be a conspiracy. Where else would you end up? Sure. And I think the sociopaths that are in charge, it's not so much they were so smart to figure it out, but as it evolved they figured out how to harness it? And, and now we're the cattle. Right. In their minds, we're the cattle on the tax farm. And you they want you just sick enough to obey and just well enough to not die until you've you've paid out your you, you've given enough milk. And then, then we'll, we'll put you down and compost you and, and start with the next generation. Well, and, we and that are, sounds yeah, we, nuts. But give me a better explanation
0: we are the product is 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 as simple as that our consumption model is basically engineered in ways we do not know from audio to video to food our human consumption model our adult consumption model if you are random with it you will pay the price and that's by design now and that's what they keep, they they're very good at that and you talk about people being stupid well the younger generation they're very idealistic and they're you know very impressionable and and so it's not hard to take innocence and turn it into something nefarious we've seen it throughout the history of man and going back to cattle themselves if you look at ancient civilizations across this world they worshiped the cow Why did they? Well, because they were basically the connection between us and the earth. What they can do to basically, you know, within their grazing, they are the land tools. They regrow the soil. They basically give us protein that gives our brain power. You know, we started eating beef. We found fire. We were eating beef. We started cooking that. Our brains got bigger. Our stomachs got smaller. Once again, that's not taught. Nobody has access unless you go intentionally into that rabbit hole of where did we come from, damn it, and why is this a thing? Well, follow the money. Follow the power. Whenever you can find a society and you can get a society to willingly, nutritionally starve itself, it don't mean anything about money. It doesn't mean anything else. Man, you've got it. You've won. And whenever you get people that are idealistic and impressionable and willingly to nutritionally starve themselves, even if it is good intentions, you, you win. You don't have to do anything else. You just let them consume what you put in front of them, you know, and you have these chemical companies across the globe that have joined in, you know, Royal DSM out of the Netherlands. They basically have hijacked our taste buds. They are a food science company and they're very proud of it. And whenever you say that food is science and it's not biology, you're going down a very tricky path. It's going to lead to some, you know, decess- deceptions that will have consequence. And mm. us as the you know, United States of America, I mean, I've been around the world. Everywhere I've ever gone, it's, all oh, fat Americans, fat Americans, fat
1: Americans. It's true. Isn't it weird, too? Because, I mean, I remember when I was in high school, we had a fat kid. His name was Jason. Mm-hmm. it this it, is 35 years ago, 40 years ago, I guess, almost now. And and I can tell you the the one fat kid's name, and it was a small town, but, like, we had the only high school in pretty much half the county. So it was a large class. It was about 400 kids in my graduating class. And I know to this day the fat kid indicating one name. And I think my wife and I have had this conversation. She, she was like, I know who it was. Yeah, and so we had a fat kid. Now we have a one skinny kid. You know, the kids that are in shape are the ones that wrestle and play football or whatever. And most of the kids today, even if they're not really fat, they're not. They're not. They don't look like the kids you and I grew up as contemporaries around us.
0: Yeah. No, they don't and and what has happened is that it's been normalized, but let's go back to the individual let's go back to the individual self, you know the accountability mirror that we must all look at. We all have to answer. And now we have a society that really, even if they want to look in that accountability mirror, they don't know where to start because a lot of the nutritional guidance is once again been hijacked in ways to where you can't get a true base layer understanding of what nutrition is and weight loss. You know, our diet plans are on a 12-month cycle of, you know, January 1st. What's everybody sure. doing? And here we go at the end of the year, it's just the same crap over that recycles itself. And until the individual is willing to get out and have a different way into where they point their compass of understanding of where they come from and in and, and basically where they are as an individual consumption model, then we're going to be trapped. I think in a lot of ways, you know, uh, Dr. Sean Baker was there in Tennessee. He spoke at the micro summit and he said, in a lot of ways, we've we've already lost and we have. We whenever you get to the level of obesity and metabolical bankruptcy that we are now as a nation, mm-hmm. some of these people will never change. They can't. It's almost like an, an addict that cannot quit drinking because if he quits drinking, he's going to go into Grandma Caesars. He's going to have almost a form like of detox.
1: It is an addiction. It is addiction. Uh, I mean, it's someone that saved myself from it three, four years ago now. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that one of the things that when you start teaching people, I don't care if you call it a proper human diet like Dr. Berry does. I don't care if you call it carnivore diet. I don't care if you call it a ketogenic diet. I don't care what you call it. If you've been eating the food that everybody eats and even people that think they're eating healthy, right? Exactly. You're eating this large carbohydrate based diet and you come off of it. You will eventually feel wonderful. You do not feel wonderful the first no. couple of weeks that you do it. And so people say, well, it didn't feel good for me. So I went back to it and doctors say, see, and it's like, you're a doctor, you know better. If you had a patient that said they stopped using heroin and they felt like dog shit, you wouldn't say, you know what? You should go back and use heroin. You're just the kind of person that needs some heroin in your life because <laughs> it makes you feel good. Yeah. And so this concept and where, where I got to this is, so I look back, I've done a lot of like anthropological research and I'm, I've tried to find in human history, pre-modern agriculture, anywhere a person could reliably obtain large amounts of carbohydrates on a regular basis throughout the year. And I came up with diddly freaking squat. The best I can do is the narrow band of the tropics. And it's still spotty because before we were creating all these new cultivars and things like that. You know, there might be a fig tree there, but it didn't produce year-round, and those figs were 900 feet up in the tree, and those giant figs. And there just isn't. And where I found that humans settled was always around water, which makes perfect sense because we die without it. And their diet, from an anthropological standpoint, was always based on the animals that were available and easiest to kill. So, like, if you go into Florida, you know, pre-colonization, They ate a lot, like you were saying earlier, they ate a lot of fish and shellfish and stuff like that. That's because an oyster do not run away. It's Mm -hmm. right there. But it's loaded with fat and cholesterol. And these people were not unhealthy, right? To live in the time that they lived and not die, you couldn't be unhealthy. You're dead if you were not healthy. And 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 so I just can't find a place in human history, pre-industry, right, that human beings could live the way that they tell us we're supposed to live today. So it's, it's ignoring the vast majority of our history of speak as a species. And then I laugh when I hear like these commercials, what's that shit called? Um, with a fruits and vegetables thing. I can't think of it. And they advertise it like crazy, uh, whatever it is. It's deep, it, it, It's freaking freeze dried vegetable and fruit powder in a capsule. And they mm. always say, you know, you can't eat enough fruits and vegetables to get the nutrients you need. I agree. Maybe that means instead of making space pills out of them, we should be getting that nutrient from something that we can get it from.
0: Well, I mean, people don't. And going back to that, you know, what is the nutritional value of beef? I mean, the amount of B12 that you get from beef, nobody really ever talks about. They go and take these capsules, you know, the vitamins and minerals in which we live and uh, have flourished from came from the soil. Well, that land tool called the cow, he he takes that that those vitamins and minerals and he puts it in a form to where we basically consume those vitamins and minerals. Once again, it's so simple, it's complicated. And that that goes to show and it reflects truly as a society here in the United States, how separated we are from food in a way that we need to be basically connected to food and whenever we have a food that is driven by convenience that has formed this complacency model we're 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 screwed because we got here by survival Food was a form of survival. It wasn't a convenient. It wasn't a, you know, let's go and all scratch our nuts watching fucking football, eating chicken wings every Sunday. That has nothing to do with it. Whenever you can have a base layer understanding that basically your consumption model is tied to your happiness and your empowerment, and it's not because it tastes good, then you can re-engineer because nobody's going to come save us. All the, all the information you just gave to us right now is extremely valuable. What are you going to do with it though, right? We can sit here and we can all say, I'm hyper aware that seed oils are very bad for you. And we get that, you know, you get that yeah. on social media. That's the new thing, boy. Look, ooh, seed oils. Let's just keep on talking about rape seed seed oils. 1956, yeah. FDA. We can do it till the damn cows go home, and you're not going to do anything. The only time you actually truly do make change is that whenever you realize that you're being fed something that is killing you slowly. And it's basically robbing any chance that your child is going to have the childhood that you had whenever food was not so corrupted. The amount of profits made off of this cheap, subsidized and commoditized food system is astronomical And people are eating it up like there's no tomorrow. And then once they get trapped into that metabolical dependency because it is a drug, then it is almost impossible to get yourself out of it unless you do basically start over. And you have to. And the best way to start over is having these conversations that you and I are having. It's saying, hey, nobody's going to come save me. These institutions aren't going to save me. This diet plan is not going to save me. I've got to get back to the source of the seed of what how we got here.
1: Yeah, and it's hard to to package it into modern American marketing because it's so simplistic that people are looking for something more complicated than it is. It's really mm-hmm. simple. Their food is shit. Yeah. Don't eat it. Yeah. Real food that comes from real things that that we ate for the majority of our ancestral heritage is good. Eat that. And people are looking for a pill or a special molecule or some kind of BS that's unnecessary because you have to think about it this way. And it's not really just for you, but for everybody. listening to us. It is unreasonable to expect that something we need as humans, we evolved without it, right? We had to evolve with what we needed to become what we are. And it doesn't, I'm not a, you know, anti-technology person. That doesn't mean that we might not figure out some secret to longevity long-term or something like that, but they ain't, all they figured out right now is how to make the last 20 years of a person's life as miserable as possible. That's, that's all I've seen so far. And I'm not opposed to modern medicine either. If I get in a wreck and I have a yield sign in my spleen, please take me to a surgeon. Yeah. But when it comes to chronic illness, I don't want anything to do with their system because it generates it.
0: Well, um, that that's exactly how I got started in this. Man, I was in ICU, and they were feeding me poisons, and here I am trying to recover, and I said, Man, there there's issues here because I've knew, and I've never been a nutritionist, but I know enough about diet and health that what is basically pure and dense animal protein is the best, you know, product out there for me to consume. And the type of uh, you know, advice that the 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 basically the the number one nutritionist in a, a major hospital was given to me that there's there's an issue here and you, what you do once again is like okay thank you i'm not participating anymore i have to go engineer my own consumption model and i don't have a problem doing that we do get stuck in that analysis paralysis because we try to over complicate it it doesn't have to be i mean i just got on the off the road for two weeks right and I ate zero fiat food as we call it. What I did though is I was able to eat beef every day or or eggs, bacon. I ate pure animal protein. And I'm not hungry. People get hungry all the time. I can go a freaking two days without eating. It might be a little uncomfortable. I'll drink some water, but I can maintain. I don't, I don't even worry about it, man. It's just not something I stress about. I'm not looking to, Oh, it's lunchtime. Yeah. Oh, well, oh, we're going to have brunch. Oh, what are we eating tonight? I don't even think about that. You know, a lot of times I do. I eat one steak a day and I hammer on, man and i think right now in these days and times if i was trying to do eat the consumption model that you know i talk to people to 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 not eat i wouldn't be able to do what i do right now this last year i wouldn't be able to maintain i'd be tired i'd be lethargic i you know cuz i do i i went on a harvest and i i got off of my protein and man, I felt like shit for six weeks because I yep. had to consume certain types of food. And, you know, people need to realize this, like you brought up. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. And if you go through, your body is saying, Okay, thank you. I'm going to heal I'm purging this crap out of my system so we can start over together again. And it's up to us to take that responsibility to to cut weather the damn storm a little bit, white knuckle, whatever you gotta do, but you know, definitely educate yourself in a different way than they are pushing forward as far as the American marketing plan. Man, I don't touch marketing plans anymore. I was in big tech. I saw marketing that shit is evil and so i don't watch tv i don't listen to radio i don't do anything anymore i mean i have a filter that is phenomenal and i love it
1: <laughs> you, you know you say you, you white knuckle it and get through it and this it literally is my pitch to people and i'll say listen if i gave you a million dollars to go to jail for 60 days would you go to jail for 60 days and to a person they'll say yes yeah I like say, so if you got a jail for sixty days for a million bucks, you can live on ribeyes for sixty days to save your life. Mm-hmm. It's not much of a sack. Why don't you do? And and every person who's actually done it out of my audience has come back with amazing stories of the
0: I've never met one person that never you know never never yeah. everybody that I talked to They made
1: it more than a couple weeks. They got they're to fine. Get through that. And
0: yes, right. it's 2 weeks they have a hard time, but after that 2 weeks they're off to the races. Yeah. And and people think it's hard to do, you don't have market access, and that's what the beef initiative is about. Is we're giving that market access because people don't know where to go right now. You know, in the beginning I only had 3 producers in the beef initiative platform. We just checked this last week. We have over 110 producers that are wanting to feed everybody listening to this right now. That is phenomenal. And I didn't ask one producer to come into the beef initiative. They did it on their own. And you know, it it's it's amazing how many producers are coming to the forefront. Cause there's a big group of people that want to have access to them. Now there's producers that are stepping up saying, here we are. And so the beef initiative is bridging that gap in a way that I don't have anybody coming to me saying, this don't work. All we do is get more and more people saying, damn, thank you. You know, yeah. I've got, I have a Kel. I did a podcast with him. He was 15 years old. He woke up a paraplegic. He heard me on a podcast and now he is walking. There's something to be said. There's people's lives are being changed. There's so many health stories that I'm now getting into my email box. This is something that works. It's not a marketing plan. It's not nefarious. It is tying together. It's community based. It's grassroots. It is up to the individual to say, okay, I ain't going to do this shit anymore. I'm going over here and we're going to, and here's a tool. Beef initiative is a tool to help change your life and it's happening.
1: And, and there is a misconception right here. Terra Hill Farm says the largest turtle to buying local beef is usually the price, which is 50 to 100 percent more expensive than Sam's or Costco. What can producers do to value add to help reduce the implied value difference? I don't actually find that to be the case. It's not the case. I think if you go to a little yuppie farm to table store and you buy nothing but choice cuts. Yes, it might be the case. But if you're buying a quarter to a half of beef at a time, I don't think Costco can compete with local product. I buy a half a cow every year, pretty much. Sometimes I have a lot of deer, so I skip a year. Uh, but I buy a half a cow from a dude down the road. He lives a mile and a half down the road from me. Uh, the processor that does the processing for us is about 35 miles away. There is no way I'm paying more for that beef than I would if I bought it at Costco or Sam's. Now, it does require me to have the – because a half a cow is a lot of meat, which is one of the reasons they're such an amazing animal is because of the amount of production. But, I mean, I take everything.
0: Liver, family, of, heart, family, bones, yeah, family five. of four for half a year for a half a cow. That's yeah. that's how you look at it. Family of four, full cow. You you do that. Let's get some perspective per per that uh, chat that just popped up. What are we comparing here? Let's no 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 no. You're trying to compare yeah. commodity beef out of a global beef industry, probably from Brazil probably from Brazil or Australia it's 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 subpar beef by the time it gets to your fork that's not something you can compare of okay when you're comparing prices let's look at JBS one of the major processors of the world basically was uh, settled out of court last year for 56 million dollars for price manipulation during covid they made 500 million dollars in profit by manipulating the pricing down driving american producers out of the market Yeah, you're going to have some uh, higher end, basically people that sell beef at farmers markets and stuff like that. Once again, that's about education. It's about relationship building with those who want to feed you. Also, let's go look at everybody's commodity cabinets. What's in your what's in your uh, pantries? How much food are you eliminating out of your current consumption model that you'll never have to pay money for again whenever you go and you make the, the basically pure animal protein the number one staple of your diet? You're cutting out over 50% of all that crap you used to eat anyways, which was basically making you poor and making you nutritionally starved and metabolically bankrupt. There's so many perspectives that people don't even talk about. How about the health of your of yourself and your children whenever you basically eliminate all of these basically commodity uh, the commodity sludge in which they push on us. What about our healthcare system? What about all the doctor's visits? What about paying forward? What about paying it forward as far as your health, to where you're going to be saving cost in the long run as far as you, in your pocketbook? There's so many things that people do not take. They're trying to compare something that is not comparable. And what I have to do from here on out is I set that perception is like you need to go back to your books and see what you're actually spending money on, what you will eliminate, what you will gain in the future as far as your health. Let's look at the overall picture of your basically of your finances. And then there's no way that it, I spend very little money on food anymore. Much less than I ever have in my whole life, and yeah, I get some beef from people. But every time I, I buy a quarter of a cow from se- several different ranchers, I have four mm-hmm. freezers, four quarters, and I spend very little money on over on an annual budget. And it's not that I'm having to pay it all at once either. I do it in a quarter-based system. Some people do it monthly. at The Beef Initiative, you can get a monthly subscription box sent to you through OSHI app you know we're partners with OSHI you can go buy half a cow right now using bitcoin you can buy anything all the beef you want through bitcoin or fiat we've got boxes you, there's so much market access that we've opened up I was just talking to Cole he's our number one distributor through the beef initiative we have Cole Bolton of K&C Kettle, and then we have uh, Holy Cow of uh, Lubbock, Texas, and they're both selling beef boxes through us. And and one thing that I know that we're going to be able to ramp up, we can handle the volume. The first time I was on your show, we hadn't opened up the processing center. Mm-hmm. We have full market access all the way all through right. that processing center now. And guess what? We're going to start selling a quarter of a million dollars worth of beef every month through the Beef Initiative. And that is going to be cost affordable. And I'm meeting with Cole th- at the end of this week. And we're about to, since we've sold the amount of beef, one thing that people do actually have to battle is the shipping costs. Guess what? Now that we have higher volume, our shipping costs are going to be in line with Whole Foods and uh, Butcher Box, which their beef comes from Australia, it doesn't come from the United States. And so there's so many things that people need to understand whenever they try to basically compare pricing. It's not comparable. Your life improves, your pocketbook improves, your whole
1: lifestyle changes. You know, I don't, I don't want people to gloss over something that you said in the middle there. And that is you eat less food now than you ever did. Mm -hmm. And this is something people have a hard time getting their head around. And so what I like to do is compare it to something that maybe they're a little bit, less attached to like dog food. So if you feed a dog, the cheapest, shittiest dog food you can get, you can buy that dog food for 35 cents a pound. Yep. If you put that dog on a a meat based premium dog food that costs you 80 cents a pound, you'd say, well, it costs almost three times, two and a half times to feed that dog. If you feed the dog the way you're supposed to, which is you watch the dog, and if the dog puts too much weight on, you cut back on how much food that dog eats. It won't cost you a penny more to feed that dog by feeding him the top-end dog food because he'll eat less of it,
0: right? It's proven. Yeah, it's proven. Right?
1: So when you start eating a diet that's based on beef and pork and other animal proteins, you immediately eat less. and and. I realized I had this unhealthy emotional attachment to food when I went this route because I went out and said, well, if I'm going to do this, then I'm going to have really great high quality, you know, super high end cheeses and and, and cured meats and all this other stuff. So when I need to snack, I can have it. And I bought all this shit and I threw it in my refrigerator and I, it it was useful because like the first couple weeks you're detaching yourself from it. And then all of a sudden I realized, like, when am I going to eat this? Right? Mm-hmm. Because you sit down and you eat a freaking sixteen ounce ribeye, you're done for a freaking day. So people are pricing that beef and they're pricing it the like the way they're pricing beef that they're gonna dump in a hamburger helper and you're gonna eat that and it's gonna make you sick, but you're also gonna be hungry an hour and a half later. Yep. And so it isn't how much the unit of food costs. It's if you're just cost analysis anyway, what does it cost you to eat for a day? And then add the healthcare costs on top of it, and it's not even a comparison anymore. But people don't understand when you go this route how quickly you, because I have this ongoing debate with Doctor Barry about he says calories don't matter, and I'm like they don't, but they do because if you eat enough of anything, you can eat too much of it, but you won't. No, you won't. There's like there's like you sit down to a piece of sixteen ounce prime rib. And a, a big grown ass man like me most of the times going to wear out before that piece of meat does.
0: Yeah. And it, it, it's basically a, hel- uh, a healthy indicator, you know, a lot of times when we eat this shit food, you know, we don't have that healthy indicator of like mm-hmm. when to stop. It's, it's yeah. actually because it's engineered in your brain and your neurons to keep on, keep on. Whenever you're eating that pure beef, like you say, man, you, you're, you're like, man, I'm, I'm done, man. I, we're good to go. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're happy and you don't have to worry about, you know, turning it off that that switch it's easy to turn that switch off and you find that you know like you're saying you know one month of this you'll see how the how your consumption model changes and how you basically you don't have to worry about turning it off you don't have to say oh shit i'm only going to eat
1: three pieces of pie tonight not four you don't have to worry (laughs) about that So, what are cattlemen's feats? That's something else I have on my notes for you here. Well, it kind of goes
0: right into that, which is very cool. That, you know, it's basically, hold on, let me turn this off. Uh, What it is, it is um, basically, it it is, you know, to that comment of um, being too expensive. Okay, let's look at everything in people's perception beef is too expensive. I can't afford it. So, what we do with the cattleman's feast, whenever you do create a market access to a producer that uh, will cut that cow up for you with a cut sheet that will introduce you into other parts of the cow that you can have from the Denver cuts to picanas to the, you know, the oxtails to everything, like you said, you get the liver, you get everything part of that mm-hmm. cow. Well, what I did is I've been working with some chefs. I've been working with some ranchers, and I wanted to create a new way of looking at everything. And so I'm going to this year in the United States and across the world, I'm going to teach everybody how to be a modern-day cattleman. By being a modern-day cattleman, you dissect that damn cow down to the genetics, to the cuts of the cow, and what you can feed your family. And so with the Cattleman's Feast, we introduce three to four cuts that most people don't even know exist. And we basically cook it up Texas barbecue style, gaucho, Argentinian, Venezuelan, Brazilian, a lot of fire, you know, very good type of barbecue that comes across the world. But then we give an international flair of different sauces, different tastes that comes from all around the globe. And we just did the micro summit in Tennessee. We fed seventy-five people and it was a freaking feast. There's pictures on my web on the on the uh Twitter page there. And you would think, you know, you go to a steakhouse now and you go you go to a Morton steakhouse, you're gonna spend seventy-five bucks on a ribeye, you know, a twelve yeah. ounce ribeye, right? Everybody left that micros, that cattleman's feast. They ate cuts they had ever eaten. It was some of the best food they've ever had. You know how much it was per plate, per person? It was less than $25 a person. Unlimited amount of beef. And so it gives a perspective of saying this is decadence. This is an international lifestyle, and anybody across the world can do it. It just takes some education. And so we're going to do the cattleman's Feast at all of these micro summits that will be happening across the globe now, and it will be a new education in how to basically source, how to prepare, and how to cost out what you can where you live with your financial means. That's what a Cattleman's Feast is.
1: K Bonk saying, I wish we could develop a cow with several hangers on it. <laughs> I wish the right? people on the Food Hanger Network State. and what have you would shut up about that. That's right? what I wish. Stop telling people about them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of cuts that people don't know about. Some of them are kind of actually pedestrian. Like I grew up with them like – you, know, you got you mentioned the ribeye, and you got that rib all the way up to the neck. And then you got two on each side, usually, if you cut them nice and thick, what they call chuck eyes. Yeah. And to me, it's a better piece of meat. It's not quite as tender, but it's got more flavor because it's a little bit more of a working muscle, you know, holding that big head up. And things like, man, you know, marrow, like grilled marrow bones are just, God love you for that. It and is. And there's so many things that people don't, no. Heart, I always... When I was a kid, I remember the first time I ever ate heart was deer heart, mm-hmm. and my uncle was cooking it, and I wasn't too keen on it because I thought of it like liver. Like, I can do things with liver, but I don't like straight liver as as it lies, so to say. And, well, a heart's not a freaking... It's an organ, but it's not really an organ the way we think of it. It's a muscle. Sure. And so he made it just barely cooked through, you know, garlic and butter and onions, and it was... This is freaking amazing, and so... You know, we get that cow. I split it with a guy because I take a half. And he doesn't. the guy that I end up splitting it with, he doesn't want any of that stuff. So I get the whole heart. I get the whole liver. I get all the bones from his side of the cow. So now you've got the marrow bones, but you've also got like, you know, for bone stock and stuff like that. There's so much that we just we've gotten so refined in our spoiled nature that we don't understand, you know, the kind of tip to tail thing that they talk about with the pig applies to the cow, too. Oxtails, yeah. that's another thing. Yeah, my grandfather taught me about those, man.
0: Yeah, I mean, what we're doing is cheating ourselves, willingly cheating ourselves because we're not taking the time to understand basically some of the best food in the world is right in front of us. We just have to dig deeper than the reaching down into a cooler of uh, plastic and styrofoam. And if we can do that, or behind a glass case, you know. And if we can actually look at that and we can actually start arranging our basically understanding and we can start educating our children, we can start educating our communities with something that such as the Cattlemen's Feast. You want to talk about decadence that is basically available for everybody. I mean, everyone is going to have these discussions on how to basically engineer these types of mills. For themselves, for parties, we had we did heart in uh, Charlotte. I was up there for a Bitcoin meetup and uh, event over Halloween. Uh, Liz and her brother Jacob put it on, but uh, Gourmet Caveman, he's the one that was doing the he he did everything in Tennessee as well. His name's Michael. He's a good friend of mine, but he did heart and nobody even knew it was heart. They don't even know. It's just, like, damn, this is good. Yeah. You know, and it's about yeah. preparation. It's, it's, it's basically, you know, it, it's, it's just having a new form of food intelligence. Food intelligence is a blast whenever you get down into you know where we came from. It's lean from.
1: and dense, so don't overcook it, stupid. I mean, it's yeah. that simple, <laughs> it's right? Exactly. Like, yeah. It's a very dense muscle because it works from the minute that that animal is forms a heart, right, as, as, as a, a fetal cow, all the way up to graduation day. It never stops, and that's why it's such a dense, uh, coarse muscle. But if yeah, you don't right. overcook it, like, man, I'll tell you when I go deer hunting. And I'm with a bunch of guys, and they're like, they don't take their their hearts. I'm like hearts and shanks, mm-hmm. and those are two of the best parts of beef as well. Like, oh, so busco. I mean, you know, it, you give it a fancy name, everybody wants to eat it. You call it beef shank everybody thinks it's scrap.
0: Exactly. So, well, beef cheeks, you know, you you, oh, how you cook beef don't cheeks, go there, man. Bro. Oh. Yeah. I mean, and it, you have access to this. And that's what something the Beef Initiative is doing is opening up those portals of understanding, but also direct market access to the stuff that we have been stolen. It's been stolen from us. That's what people don't understand. The supermarket, the industrial food complex, these multinational corporations that are making trillions of dollars of profit off of treat food and basically a low access to animal protein, they don't want you to know this. So you have to go, shit, okay, well, screw you i'm not going to participate what i'm going to do is i'm going to become a new modern day cattleman and what that entails is understanding what the hell the cow is and where it comes from and how we have worshipped it how we have prepared it how we've leveraged it i tell people now during the great depression and all those soup lines people have better nutritional value than people sitting in boardrooms right now today and people what well, yeah, because most of our food in, back in that past was based, the foundation was built off of animal protein, animal, mm-hmm. leveraging the animal in every different
1: way. And even if it was like a family trying to get by and stretching it using beans or something like that, it, sure. was, it was a giant beef bone mm-hmm. that was the core of the nutrition of the meal. And bone that, broth,
0: yeah, er- everything. Yeah, I that, mean, that, I grew up as a baby drinking bone broth. You know, my mother used to chew up meat before I even had teeth and feed me like a bird. That's how we got here, folks. It wasn't because of uh, pizza pockets and chicken tendies.
1: Yeah. And and that's
0: what people need to understand.
1: Yeah. Um, I'd say about the only time I ate beans much as a kid was when my grandmother would get that ham and what was left of it was then thrown with beans like on a Sunday mm-hmm. afternoon or something like you, that. that.
0: Cornbread, that's what cornbread and beans, beans man. And yeah. we got
1: to use up that bone in the little pickings of ham or whatever, or split pea and ham, something like that. Uh, but I, that transitions me to something I wanted to ask you your opinion on. I don't know if there's a full answer to this, but there's definitely some speculation we can all do. I listened to a podcast you did recently. You were talking to some gal, I don't remember her name, but you were talking about the history of cows mm-hmm. in America Yep. And and the chuck wagons and things like that and how Chucky would feed everybody. And you mentioned like the cowboys who were not metabolically screwed up like Americans are today. They didn't really live on beef on those cattle drives. I think a lot of people think they do. But if you think about what it takes to process a cow. Yeah. And you're trying to move cows from, let's say, San Antonio to Fort Worth, put them on a train. You don't have a lot of time for that. Right. And it takes a while to get there. You gotta look, and they, they ate a ton of beans. And, you know, they had dried meats and bacon and stuff like that, but they didn't have a freezer out there. They didn't have a, a reefer van that they were carrying everything around on. So they had to use the staples. And they did, you know, if they saw a deer, I'm sure that deer was dead yeah. or a rattlesnake or a rabbit or whatever. But they lived a lot on, on beans and things like that. A lot of this country did as well. They may have had a, a core base of meat within it. But those people didn't get obese. They didn't get fat. And today, if you eat that way, it feels like you do. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it makes me think that the food supply itself is corrupted. And I think it's a combination of things. And I don't, I don't know the answer because I think there's too many things screwing it up to know the answer. But you know, I have my suspicions around things like herbicides and pesticides. And microplastics, but it seems like the food itself, even the food that's down a tier from what we would prefer, is worse than it used to be.
0: Well, by far. I mean, there's there's tons of studies out there, and let's just bring up genetic, genetically modified organisms. Sure. We have GMO. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it means it's genetically modified, folks. It's not in its purest state and form. We don't have pure seeds anymore. So whenever you start genetically modifying your seeds – and it basically is taken away and your intentions are for to get yields out of that seed instead of nutritional delivery out of that seed, right then you're going to have something that is nutritionally weak. Whenever you, now there's a study out there, you'd have to eat five apples today to just what you could have eaten 10 years ago. This nutritional value of one apple now requires five. That's because now, well, it's not even GMO anymore. They're calling it bioengineering. You know this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the bioengineering, the basically the stilling of the nutritional, the herbicides, the pesticides, our soil being killed by these chemicals, then once again, you're not having full access to the microbes down in the soil the true nutrition that the soil is trying to give us with the minerals and the vitamins that are trapped in that soil. So what do you do? Well, if I'm going to eat a bunch of beans, I'm going to eat three times as many of those beans. There you go. I'm going to eat twice as much as anything else. Therefore, what does your body do with these types of carbohydrates? Because most of our diets are 80%, I don't know what the percentage, high percentage of carbohydrates, your body is going to store that as fat. You know, and here we go. We get into the insulin spikes. We get into, yeah. you know, everything. And, and it and it's been designed ever since the food pyramid to do that. Throughout our time since the 80s, late 80s, whenever it was with the food pyramid, you'll look at this chart and you'll see that obesity just went like this because of the grains in which we used to used to have whole grains that we could be you know we could sustain on you know the cowboys they did you know they used a lot of tallow though a lot of their base for a lot of their stews and their beans had tallow Mm -hmm. in it yeah now what do they have in it they have seed oils in them so you know there's there's such a such a paradigm shift that has happened as far as you know people like to compare food today to even 10 years ago in, it's a bad comparison. We just had our last major global uh, consolidation of food corporations in 2017 and 18. That same period of time is whenever Bear bought and acquired Monsanto. You had grain and chemical companies that consolidated. Then you had the multinational food corporations consolidated, and that was four years ago. Back then in 2017 and 18, they got their marching orders. This is why we're going through this global industrial food shift, because they're combining together, and basically the food is basically weaker in a nutritional standpoint, and that's where you get your obesity. It's, it's a no-brainer. And once again, acceptance is a key. That you know what has happened, and and how can you move forward as an individual to where you can build that out within your own community? Your community being your children. Yeah. Your your your, your children. Think about how helpless the children are that are stuck in a food desert. And they have no access to pure animal protein or any type of nutritional value. They it's will work never they have They don't a even life.
1: know that they should. This no, is the, the, the that's problem exactly is the it. Lack of access, it's lack of even knowing that you should have it, and thinking yep. that it would be that we're teaching people that the things that heal their bodies in the land are bad. And I mm. think you're onto it with the nutrient density is the problem. So if an organism's eating nutrient deficient food, it sends a message to the body. Uh, it, it, and it's going to come out from a hormonal response. Yep. We're in a starvation environment. Get everything you can as fast as you can keep eating. 100%. And, and it will turn on the eating. And I, I think that's it, – it's back to my dog food analogy. You can spend more money, buy better dog food, and it costs the same amount to feed the dog because the dog eats less. Yep. And, and we're not we're biological organisms just like dogs. We work the same way. But what we we have is a double attack. One, it's a direct attack – asserting that the way we say to eat, and I think you can look at the results and see it's a lie, is, is bad nutrition, but it's also that it's bad for the environment. It's going to hurt the planet. And I've yet to see a more productive ecosystem in every measurable way, including if you want to talk about putting carbon in a soil, then a civil pasture-based grazing system. Basically, a savanna mimic system, which is if you look at where all the plains game are in Africa, they're in savannas, right? yeah you have three lined open glades of 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 grazing and and there's nothing that makes more soil, puts more carbon in the soil, and makes more units of energy that can be used for human food than that. The only thing I know that grows soil faster is like shallow marine systems, which is yeah. not even a a fair comparison, like a mangrove system will grow soil faster, but it's under water. Nothing terrestrially grows soil faster than grazing systems properly managed, and they can be managed by lions and and, and cheetahs and whatever that eats the the ruminant, or it can be managed by human control and human movement. And so these people you're talking about, they don't have access to food. They also think the food's not good for them, and the food has to come at the expense of the planet which it sounds so crazy to people when you say everything you've been told is wrong, but I challenge people to look and you'll see the same pattern everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's not just our food system. It's in our medical industry. It's in, it's in all all forms of ecology that this stuff's lied about. And it's always the same thing. The person who comes up and says, Hey, here's some observational information is told to shut up and go away and silenced. And called a loon and a conspiracy theory, and it's a fad diet. I I don't know what's more of a fad diet than eating crap out of a box because of the color of the cardboard. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you give me a more fad diet than that.
0: Yeah well you one thing that I, I I ask people it is it's it's a behavioral shift you know most addictions are behavioral issues you know the drug or whatever the food is a symptom of that behavioral issue and we get of course you know our body gets addicted to certain things that has those dependencies but one thing that I just tell everybody you know whenever you are basically in a situation where you're afraid to maybe shift your your consumption you know I'm results driven that's it I don't give a shit about anything else. There's way too many people on this planet that has showed us through past history to current times and moving forward that have shown the results. We don't have to parrot a bunch of studies. Go eat pure animal protein for a month and tell me that it is not a solution for you. Try it. But that takes the individual saying that. But see, that's where we get. We get in that analysis paralysis. We get into the basically we get in a confirmation bias that defends our cognitive dissonance. And I'm just, I'm done with it. I'm done with this carbon lie. I'm done with everything else. I just don't validate the deceptions anymore. And I don't have to. I don't have mark. I don't even allow myself the market access to what they're selling to me from the audio to the video and everything. And everybody always wants me to talk about, you know, what are we going to do about climate change? WEF. And I understand that we have to be truly, truly aware of what they're doing. Yes. But guess what? They've been doing it my whole damn life with every nefarious movement decade. I know wrong. you remember the global
1: a, cooling. Of course. I we know were you remember sitting class, yes. and they said, Slim, the yes. Earth is going to go into a new ice age because of pollution. Well, right? and
0: also, I grew up in the Texas panhandle, a place called Pantax. You can look up Pantax. I was taught that we were going to get nuked, too. You know, oh, yeah. every day of my life, we were going to get bombed.
1: Oh, yeah. You know,
0: we've we've seen it, and it's just we a generational thing. Yes, it, it's, it's always been Under there. We're going to freeze to death. We're going to get nuked. Yeah. And everybody gets in a tizzy. Now that we have a digital age, we live in a digital age. Everybody has instantaneous propaganda, man. And it's called behaviorism. I come from big tech in the telecommunications labs. I know how they've gained a society with social media and all the messaging that they're doing. They've taken play out of our learning. They've taken play mm. out of our children's lives. That is hugely important for advancement within the self-sovereign individual. They've replaced it with game theory. The theory of a games written in 1982, go look at it. It's basically evolutionary control of humankind, and they're using it, and everybody that keeps on playing and becomes the marketing arm of all the bullshit lies about carbon, about the climate, everything that they're doing. Well, guess what? You are now owned by them because you can't stop telling everybody about it. And so all you're doing is perpetuating the lie and validating it in a way instead of going out there and separating yourself from it.
1: So. I, back to my notes with you. Another mm-hmm. thing I have here is 100,000 subscribers. Mm-hmm. No explanation. So, is that a goal that you're setting for yourself in 2023? Or
0: yeah, that's that's you know the substack and everything is what started this. And everybody okay. always asks me, "Hey, what's the Beef Initiative?" Well, we've created a portal, basically a gateway to find out everything about the Beef Initiative to find out everything about the I Am Texas Slim Foundation. To listen to my podcast and everything. Whenever we get 100,000 users, what we're doing is we're educating children, we're feeding children again, we're giving market access to everybody that wants market access to beef. Like I said, we have 110 producers now in the Beef Initiative platform all across the United States. And if you can't find one, well, you can purchase your beef through the Beef Initiative. What it is, 100,000 subscribers to the Substack, which is texasslim.substack.com, is basically you get to go define find what the that, Beef Initiative real quick. is. Hold on Is that the
1: wrong one down there then? I yeah, guess. that is. That's uh, the wrong one. Don't go to that one. I'll get yeah, the right one. don't go to that one.
0: It's <laughs> texasslim.substack.com. And what we're doing is we're we're funneling people in there. We have guest riders. We're going to actually start con- connecting people to producers, ranchers. We're connecting people to basically how to uh, get beef. We're doing rest, just all of the everything that we're doing now goes through that. If we get 100,000 people in that Substack, then we're winning in more ways. We're going to have these micro summits. We had five this year. What I'm going to do also at the beginning of the year is you can come to the Beef Initiative platform through the Substack, of course, if you want, and you can put in an application to have a micro summit in your town, your county, your state, your region, your country, wherever you are, and we will advise you saying this is is the playbook. This is how you do it, and we will bring – you need a producer, you need beef, you need the cattleman's feast, what's the education, community building, whatever it is, we're going to work with you so we can have these micro summits all across the United States. We didn't make money off these micro summits. It was not a fiat-driven circle jerk of saying, hey, let's go take selfies at this conference. These things were actually called to actions. It's how you can change your life. It's how you can build community. It's how you can build new relationships. And it's what it's right now. This is what is needed in this nation. And it's needed across the world. You know, the guys in Australia, man, they they contacted me and we've been working together. This is there are no borders here. And this is how we could basically quit validating the deceptions. And we can start basically creating all the solutions that everybody's yearning for.
1: I want to real quick hit, uh, I usually save comments for the end, but we're getting near there anyway, at an hour 20 here. Sure. C uh, says CJ says, nearest butcher in Florida is booked out until August 2023 for whole cows right now. Started moving toward low line cattle so that I can uh, do my own processing. I have a couple thoughts on that. One, a lot of ranchers are either adding or moving toward doing sheep, especially like St. Croix and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a fine meat as well, and what I love about it for the small-scale producer is I can butcher sheep, uh, butcher a sheep just as quick as I can butcher a deer. Sure. It, it's literally the same. But the other side of it is I'm wondering how true this is, and I wonder if people are looking for the wrong kind of processor. And what I mean by that is like a USDA-certified where you can take cuts and distribute them into a supermarkets processor. Because my processor is about 30 miles from me. And this just has not been a problem. It wasn't a problem all the way through COVID. I remember calling him going, are we able to get stuff in there? Cause I'd raise my own turkeys and I use him to process those as well. And he's like, no, they do deer. I mean, they do livestock, but they also do deer every year for hunters and all. And it's just, there isn't a problem. And I wonder, is it a unique thing? I don't want to give the guy's name away in case it is, but I just haven't had this problem. I haven't noticed this problem whether it's getting my cow processed cow do down the road, or whether it's taking in, you know, eight turkeys that are 50 pounds a piece, and I don't feel like working on myself.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a state thing. It's a region thing. Like up here in the Texas panel, I got Justin. He's a good friend of mine. He has Panhandle Meats. He is a Texas certified processor. He does, uh, and he has his own fowl, too. He does, he does poultry, but he does lamb. He does hog. He does beef, of course. And he he doesn't sell across state lines. He can sell ad- adjacent around the states, you know, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Arkansas, stuff like that. What 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 you have across this nation, and I think, t- and then Cole Bolton down in Central Texas with Panha- with Hometown Meats, he's USDA. That's why we can ship across the United States right now through the Beef Initiative. But you do get a lot of people that are in certain regions of this country and in a certain state where they're going to have restrictive processing laws to where it is more difficult to actually get access to process your animals. Sometimes they do have to schedule 18 months out, and that's been the attack against the American rancher producer. That is another form of prohibition to where we can't feed our communities because our ranchers can't get to those processing centers. And so we're having more and more microprocessors that we're going to basically uh, start moving forward with. It's happening right now. There's a lot of people building out these microprocessing centers. We in the Beef Initiative are now, we have something called, it's called the TBIAC.org the Beef Initiative Association Council. And what we're doing is we're taking this intelligence and we're advising people who want to open up their microprocessing centers in Texas and in the United States. So there's a lot of different variables that play into the processing side of things. One thing that we do know and a lot of people need to understand there is the general consumer, 80% of our animal protein is, is basically processed by four multinational corporations, and none of them are in the United States. And Very so we've awesome. given the opportunity and the power to multinational corporations to process our food that used to feed our communities. Now that beef is shipped overseas to the highest bidders. Like you said before, we're getting beef shipped in from Brazil, Australia, New Zealand, Africa. We're not even eating. Our beef goes sh- to Europe. Yeah, we're not eating our, our beef, beef anymore. Our beef
1: goes to Europe. Everybody says it's
0: USDA prime. It doesn't mean anything. It means it (laughs) might have been harvested in the United States, and that's about it. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people don't understand because of the labeling laws that are so corrupt. I always tell people, I said, the less letters on my damn package is the better. That means it's better healthy. It's coming local, and I can can actually um, count on it and rely on it far better than any supermarket in the United States right now.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if this will help people find the type of guy that I have, because I I literally found him from the guy that sells me the cow. So that might be where to start. Start talking to people that sell local beef. They might know sure. what to use, because the place I use is state inspected yeah. as a general thing. And they show up like once every two months without announcement. They just show up and hey, sure. check everything. And that's it. They don't check the meat. They check the facility and that's it. So you can't process with him and then put it on the, the 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 shelf at a store, and I don't care. So I don't know if there's a specific thing that guy has called, but that's maybe who to look for because I don't care. Like when I do my turkeys, they're literally meat stamp and it says not for resale right on the skin, right? You bet. You you bet. I, I don't care about I even sell sold to customers the same way my cow guy sells to me. They come get the turkey and take it over there for processing, and they pay me on the weight of the turkeys. You bet. And so there's all kinds of ways around this. And I like the micro processing centers. One guy that's been here talking a lot on the chat, Renegade Butcher, he is a custom butcher. Um he got shut down by the cost of making making uh the, the, the department of making you sad at because of vegans complaining about him on Facebook, but yeah. he he would go out and butcher on site for people. Uh there's a well, lot of Well, I actually talked to
0: Renegade. I I talked to right. Renegade, actually.
1: We've met. He's a good dude. Yeah, let's uh, let's hit a few uh, questions here. Sure. Uh, I think we kind of covered Roundup in our food, so we'll let that one go. Uh, Yeah, We we know that that's that's a different thing altogether. Uh, The moment you see that nearly everything is bullshit, you are liberated to find solutions. Until then, you can be nothing but frustrated and confused. I think that's what you were hitting on there, that like you can sit there and keep complaining about it. You can just accept it and move on.
0: Yeah, I mean, acceptance is the key, man. <laughs> if you if you cut off your damn finger, man, you cut off your finger, accept it, and you move on. If they can't throw it on, let's go. If, you, if you've if been cut off from nutritional food, say, well, okay, they've cut me off from nutritional food, but it takes you, the individual, to accept that. If you need to go deeper down into the rabbit hole of what true food intelligence is, then that's something you have to do as the individual. Nobody's going to save you. The government's not going to save you. This is going. This is moving forward. This global industrial food shift is happening. It'll be slowly done, slowly implemented, and it'll be based. I drove across this country from Tennessee. I drove by fast food joints that were freaking lines out into the damn highway systems. And until people are saying, I'm not doing Chick-fil-A anymore, no matter if it's good chicken or not, then everybody will keep on just being frustrated. And that's by design and when you're that dependent on somebody else to feed you then you've lost basically the narrative you've lost the motivation to go out there and say I will be the one that feeds me, not a multinational corporation that has gotten us here. I don't know if it's nefarious or not. That's not the argument for me to have. What I do accept is that it's bullshit and it's killing kids. Whenever you got kids in this nation, 5 to 11 years old, that are coming in with fatty liver disease, that is a disease of an alcoholic 70-year-old man in the United States, we have an issue, man. And people need to quit sitting here and getting this stuck in this, like, well Somebody's going to come save me. Somebody's going to do something about that. No, it starts with a strong individual and everybody, like you, especially on your podcast. It's called the Survival Podcast. Well, being survival is being emotionally mature and saying bullshit. I'm going to live like my damn grandfather did, and I'm not going to put up with this. And until we can put our foot down and say, I'm going to start saving children's lives, and I'm going to start with my own, everybody will just do a circle jerk of what the hell's going, you know, bad in this country. And it's it's it gets old, man. When does it when does it when is it enough to just say, okay, I'm moving on. Yeah. That's what I ask everybody yeah. because I keep on getting everybody thinking somebody's going to come save them. It ain't happening.
1: Yeah, we've been lured into this belief that somebody's supposed to fix it. Yeah. Right? And that there's a solution that involves voting for the next clown that's going to be in charge of your life. That's what why do you think they have us vote for presidential elections and mock school elections when we're in second freaking grade? Do you think we actually learn anything from that or do you think we're being conditioned right which one of those two make more sense right what does a second grader know or what should a second grader know about two presidential candidates why should they even kids should be kids like they should have innocence at that point even exactly. like grandkids when they ask me about you know like well, what about the, you know donald trump or what about joe biden or, you don't need to worry about that go play yeah. Go freaking play. Go outside and chase the chickens around or something. Don't worry about it. You're not gonna change it, so don't worry about it. Instead of understanding that you are your own answer, right? I hate to sound like a cliche, but there's a reason some cliches are cliches. All you have to do is stop believing them. Just yeah. stop. Just quit. And like you said, we all have our own threshold for how much we need to learn about a thing before we accept that they're lying. Right? Because how 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 deep has the programming gone? And one of the reasons I started kind of bridging Bitcoin and the survival podcast into the, the Bitcoin breakout episodes that we do on Tuesdays is because I think that once you figure out they're lying to you in one place, if you can avoid something called Gelman amnesia, then you, it's much easier for the next one to accept, Oh, they're also lying about this. Oh, they're also lying about that. And maybe if you don't like the word lie, then wrong. Right. If, if, if lie doesn't work for you, then wrong, they're wrong about everything. But I don't know if you've ever heard of Gelman Amnesia, but mm-hmm. it, it really clarified a lot of things for me. Michael Crichton, who's the dude that wrote the TV series ER and wrote Jurassic Park and some other books uh, before he passed away, he came up with this term and he said it's when you, because this is from the 70s. So when you read a newspaper and you read a story about a subject that you're very well informed on, So you know it's bullshit, and you know it's a lie, and you kind of write off the source and say, this is crap, and then you turn the page, and you're reading the same publication from the same publisher from the same people from the same source, but you're not well informed, so you take it all to be valid because it comes from an authority, and you forgot what you knew one page ago, and he calls it Gelman Amnesia, and Gelman, G-E-L hyphen M-A-N-N, was a a famous physicist. So I don't know if there's maybe some relationship to that is where Crichton was getting it. But God, I look at society today and you talk to people and they go, did you know? And you're like, yeah, I did. And they go all down a rabbit hole. And then you bring something else up and they're like, Oh, Oh oh, no. Of course. All the experts say, do you mean the same experts that you just told me were full of shit? (laughs) And it's just the world we live in. And when you walk away, walk all the way away. Yeah. That's all you have to do is walk away.
0: Yeah, and and, and like I say, man, uh, you know Angus is my favorite. By by the way, somebody just <laughs> asked me, Angus.
1: <laughs> yeah, Satoshi so Sanders said, "What is your favorite cattle?"
0: yeah definitely angus uh there's some great production great genetics especially in texas you know the the angus cattle is really you know i grew up on hereford though you know you got all, you got all kinds man you just can't you know you know the old longhorns a little lean you know so yeah. but, but anyways there's so many different types of cattle that you know across the world like over in australia man i get to go over and learn everything that they're doing in it's fascinating And so, but what really what matters about, you know, the the type of cattle is a lot of people don't even realize, okay, what makes a good beef, right? Uh, the aging process. Well, most of the beef that most Americans eat, there is no aging. You know, and, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter where it comes from. If you don't do proper aging, which is done through a decentralized processing center that we use through the beef initiative, you can't compare. You know, whenever no. you have something on a hook and then it's in a box and then it's on your plate, that's that's going to be pretty shitty beef. So it doesn't really no. matter the genetics of the cow. It doesn't matter what type of cow it is. If you do not go through the full process of butchery to aging to exactly how we Got here as far as, you know, learning how to think about it. You just you brought up San Antonio to Fort Worth, get on a boxcar and go up to Chicago. Right. Yeah the old cattle drives and how they did it well they had refrigerated box cars and so they got to refrigerate and they got to dry age and that's why ooh chicago beef well it was yeah. because it was aged properly and it started in texas and ended up in chicago refrigeration was used the type of processing was used so there's so much that you can go down in the rabbit hole as far as what is good beef
1: you know i i know you know the background of this i don't know if you ever went down to downtown Fort Worth to the stockyards to listen to the guy tell the story. But I would recommend that anybody that's ever in the Fort Worth area, the Fort Worth stockyards are a tourist trap. Mm-hmm. Please do not judge Texas barbecue on risky freaking barbecue because it's garbage, but it's yeah. worth going there anyway for the cattle drive, which is like nine log longhorns walk through the, the downtown square. But to listen to that gentleman tell the story of after the civil war, how the, the, you could go get a huge, I mean, a huge longhorn cow outside of the San Antonio area, like toward Kerrville and that. And there were, there were thousands of them that went wild during the war because everybody left to go fight the war. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't get a dollar for a freaking longhorn on the hoof down there because if somebody wanted one, they just went and got one. Yep. And they would drive those cattle all the way to Fort Worth and they would get, and I know it's the 1870s, so five bucks went a lot longer today. But still, a Longhorn was worth about $5 until they put that rail car in. And first it went to St. Louis, and like you said, then it went to Chicago. And what do we think of for upscale steakhouses today? St. Louis and Chicago. Yeah. That's how that all happened. And to hear Hmm. the way that all played itself out. That's what
0: I tell everybody. I mean, I'm glad you bring that up. I tell everybody that, hey, back in the 1870s, after the Civil War, Texas fed a nation. We did it because we had an abundance of cattle. The reason Texas is Texas is not because of oil, it's because of the cow. And right now, this is what the Beef Initiative, we're going out, we're going to feed the nation again, and we're going to lead it from Texas, and we're going to do it how our grandfathers did it. It was a decentralized type of food apparatus that had nodes, if we want to talk Bitcoin. We build nodes out across the United States, and we give access to these producers that live and die to feed us, but they don't have access to us. They don't have communication structures that they can actually sell their beef. They have to sell their beef through freaking Facebook and farmers markets that have become basically arts and craft shows yeah you know nobody even understands where what farmers farmers markets where they came from and what they're truly about so once again it's reflection of history knowing where the cow came from knowing how we fed a nation as far as Texas and how we're going to do it again through the beef industry we're recreating the beef industry in the United States of America right now and it's a slow roll but this is a 10 year they got a 10 year plan we got a 10 year plan and people are coming on, you know, and people are going to source their freaking beef differently. And then it's going to carry over to pork, poultry, good yep. produce, fish. It doesn't matter. It starts with beef because it's a beef initiative. But this is going in every direction as far as dense animal protein and dense plain food.
1: I'm telling you, if you eat heritage pork that's been pastured, yeah, it, it's it's... It's not the same. No, of course not. The the pork that I eat generally looks as red as the beef that comes from the supermarket. It's insane. And, like, the pork that comes from the supermarket looks like chicken. And the chicken that comes to the supermarket, I don't want to even talk about that. I mean, I I processed a bird the other day with my grandson because the hawk came and the dog took the bird away from the hawk instead of killing the hawk. So it killed the bird. So we had to process the chicken. And I was telling him, I said, I had the meat in my hand. I said, smell it. And he said, it doesn't smell like anything. And I said, well, the next time your parent, because my, my son still buys food from the supermarket, and no matter, they won't eat what I'll give them. I'll put it that way. And I said, next time your mom or dad takes chicken out of a package from the supermarket, smell it. Mm-hmm. Just smell it raw. And that's all you have to do. And you're done with that discussion. It it It, it has a. A stink that I can't even describe. It's not like a rotted meat stink. It's just this very, like, your your stomach says, no, don't eat that. Yeah. I think well, the a, nose is one of the best things we stink. have to tell us what to eat and not to eat.
0: Yeah, it's a chemical stink. I mean, like I said, I mean, there's, they do so many things with chickens and hogs now, Yeah, you know, as far as, you know, <clears throat> once again, the FDA one. A lawsuit in October 21 to basically inject 22,000 more chemicals into the food system they don't have to tell us it's under the Ross rule generally recognized as safe this happens with all of our processed you know proteins that uh, are done by the multinational corporations they get to inject some type of filler or some type of sawdust or whatever food coloring you know liquid you know this is oh this will help it hydrate the meat you know well yeah. you know, somebody's making millions of dollars off of that new injection of chemical I and so it. you know it, 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 and need it's it
1: needs dry aging
0: yeah exactly
1: right? we don't need to be hydrating meat that's just so you could that's back to how do you you know understand the value of the product well when 30 percent of the weight of the product is water maybe you should just add yeah 30.
0: go get four chicken breasts from kroger's and put it in a freaking pot with no liquid in it cook that yeah. down and see how much you got slow cooking yep. see how much how yeah, much moisture much. comes out of that chicken breast which is uh, it's the size of a damn chicken itself anymore. Yeah. You know, well that's hormones, you know. It's just once again it's daunting. We could sit here all day and say, look what they did to the chicken, look what they did to the poultry, nah, look what they did to the hog market. You know, and it's just like, okay, man, it it's there. Well, the only reason it's happening is you and me because our consumer demand allows it to happen because we continue to consume and say, well, why did you trick me? Mean, you're mean. Why would you do that? Well, you're going to change or I'm going to, well, I'll just keep on eating this. No, they'll keep on doing it as long as we keep consuming.
1: And Uh, it's it's real simple. I'm just going to backtrack real quick and say what my favorite cow is. It's not a cow. It's a bovine. No, it's the American bison. The problem with them is they're assholes, and they just walk through fences that stop cows no, and stuff like that. And they they're never actually domesticated. They'll they'll chill a bit, but they're 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 not as easy to work as cattle. I've had guys on the show talk about raising them, and they're, they're tougher. But my, well, we've my, got God.
0: bison here in the Panhandle that you know I, I'll probably get some processed this year. But they are they're they're different they're different. You can yeah. do them, but once again, you get a you get a beast like a bison or a cow, you know, and you get them stressed, and at the time of harvest, that beef is going to have a lot be. of crap in there in those muscle tissues, and it's just not going to be as good. There's an art form to all of this, and there so, needs to be.
1: People say it's one bad day. Yep. That's Wrong. They need to have one bad second.
0: One bad second where they're stressed and the time they're harvest. I've going. seen, you see beef, you see flesh, it just comes out purple. It's so stressed that they had such yeah. a bad time during harvest. And that's what happens to our commodity beef through, you know, through the supermarkets. You never know what you're going to get. You know, it doesn't matter what the package says. You know, that cow could have had a bad last two seconds, like you said, last 30 seconds. And that, that cow was, its whole life was wasted. And you can't even honor it in the correct way yeah. because its beef is so, so tainted. You know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've had people on that raise pigs for themselves or maybe a couple to sell, and they all they all do the same thing for, for graduation day. They give the pig a bowl of beer. Yeah. And when that pig is about one drop away from finishing that beer, it gets a 22 in the back of the head. And done, and shut off and doesn't, mm-hmm. and dry to happy as a pig in beer. And a pig in yep. beer is pretty happy. Uh, Byron says the problem isn't cows, it's what they're fed. And this is actually pro- part of my problem with the whole thing. Every piece of beef that you eat ate grass for most of its life. They then move them to these CAFOs and finish them on grain because you can't feed a cow for 18 months on grain because you'll kill it. (laughs) Right? Like so it all it is is this greed that instead of taking the time it really takes to finish the animal properly on grass, We try to accelerate that at the end and make make extra money off of it when the cow finished properly is worth more money. And we don't have to train the cow. You know, when I say train, I mean, put them on a train all over. Like because there's these CAFOs, there's not like millions of them. the biggest ones are, you know, bring cattle in from everywhere. I'm sure you've seen the ones in Lubbock. You can see a sea of cattle.
0: I, that's I live in commodity country, man. Yeah. They're all over the Texas Panhandle. You go out to Australia, they got some of the biggest feed yards in the world. Yeah. And uh, you know that's where we get a lot of separation once again about you know what is true understanding of beef food and everything. You know everybody's like ooh grass fed. I, I I like to you know shock people and say hey guys all cows are grass fed man. Yes. You just don't realize that. But what happens is we went into a grain and commodity route, right, fake commodities, GMOs. And and I guarantee you right now, and this is something that I have to establish every time I talk to somebody, and Beef Initiative is principled on regenerative farming and ranching. One thing we also have to understand is there's many ways that you can finish off a cow, and there's many ways that you have to do it in different regions of this world. But the way that we've gone and evolved into basically on how we finish off or how the multinational feed yards are finishing off our cattle is basically the same thing they're doing to us you had those ten thousand cattle that got killed that died in uh, Kansas during that heat wave, okay You look at those those cows were one step away from harvest they're metabolically bankrupt, mm-hmm. and it was a heat heat a uh, heat wave that came through lack of shade, lack of enough water for those cattle. Well, you put 10,000 Americans out there that have been fed the same type of grain commodity diets, guess what? You're going to have 10,000 Americans drop dead too. And so you look at cattle and how they are fed. Well, they're feeding us the same way. It just has different names. Some of the ingredients are the same. And until people are going to realize that, then, yeah, you're going to find a cow that actually is finished off correctly. Maybe it is organic, non-GMO grain that is locally sourced tons of ranchers do it that way. Yeah. Some of them do both, grass-finished and non-GMO grains. Yeah. And so there's so many different ways that you can finish off a cow properly that basically helps the spectrum of having access to good beef. Mm-hmm. A lot of people love to be finished off on grain because of the taste profile. It, you know, A does, lot of people right? don't it like the lean. marble lindness. the hell
1: out of the meat. There's no doubt right.
0: about it. Right. And so, once again, it, regenerative, we have to understand what regenerative really means to the producers and ranchers that are doing it out in the field we can't just sit here you know in our digital world and look at these screens and say i will only ever eat grass finished beef well we had a drought in texas this year okay let's put perspective okay mm. we had people that were basically hobby ranchers that do grass-finished, grass finished grass grass fed, grass finished well, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, with this grass-finished and regenerative movement going on right now. Well, some of these cows, well, they couldn't finish off correctly because they didn't have any other inputs besides grass. Mm-hmm. What did these people do with these cows? They took them to slaughter, and they sold them out on this market, and some of that beef was nasty, nasty. And it was not really that good to eat. But then you had the general public going out there eating grass finish for the first time. Mm. That's the first thing that they eat is that grass finish that was not finished off properly because that hobby rancher did not know how to do supplemental input to -hmm. be able to finish off during a Texas drought. So that's an issue. That's how we get destroyed as the ranchers is that we do not look at all the variations, all the variables that play along when it comes to regenerative farming and ranching. But whenever we do, most of our beef is in these feed yards and they last 90 days and they are just to fatten them up because they get the best price for their for their beef at that point on the global market, yeah. then you know, there's no telling what is in that grain and how many people, how many touch points, how much that grain has been basically manipulated, commoditized, subsidized in a way to where, you know, these multinationals make billions of dollars
1: of profit. Not to mention how miserable and stressed that animal was for the last few weeks of its life. I mean Yes, sir. Like like I said, if you like a lot of people haven't seen what you and I have seen. I remember the first time I went out to Lubbock. And I drove past some of those KFOS, and it was like, I guess the horizon is how long it takes a cow. If that's the back of the line, the finishing time is how long it takes them to get from there to the kill floor. Right? Yeah. That's how they figure that out. How long, how long is a line? And that's how many cows they'll take at a time. And it's, you, you can't not feel bad for the animal when you see that it's, it's, it's hard to look at, but I'd say if you, if you struggle with understanding this, go look mm-hmm. and you'll understand um K he's talking about when you're talking about the cattleman's Feast mm-hmm. and all the different ways the meat was prepared he says are those recipes online?
0: <laughs> <laughs> what we're going to do I'm working with gourmet caveman right now and we're going to start posting, you know, everything through the Substack. Once again, uh we'll be we'll have an article probably within a week or two. And we're going to start posting how, you know, he makes his sauces. I mean, we had something from Africa, South America. You know, we had a lot of different uh, sauces that you can make. So, yeah, we're going to start getting into everything, the recipes, how to prepare, the cuts of the cow. I mean, just everything that is associated with the cow. We're going to worship the cow as our great ancestors and ancient civilizations did. And we're going to get so powerful behind the understanding of the cow that their stupid little game that they're playing with cows being a carbon hazard just will not fly. They have nothing to stand on except ignorance. Well, we're going to squash the ignorance with utmost education that comes from thousands of years of us basically having a very good relationship with our cow and our soil. And that's as simple as it can be. And it's the most powerful that we can be as far as our messaging and our narrative and basically changing and reinventing our food supplies in a decentralized way.
1: You know, I'll add to that. I think recipes are golden, but techniques are of the gods.
0: Yeah, techniques. I I think that's more of what the Cattleman's Feast is, the techniques. Yeah. You heard me say like the gaucho, you know, the caro, you know, different ways of preparing that a cowboy, the Texas cowboy, the barbecue. There's a lot of different techniques from the heart muscle, you know, into the shank all the way into a ribeye. You're kicking three different ways. The technique is different.
1: Yeah. And I can give you... Even sauces, right? Like I have this this garlic cream sauce that I make, and people have been asking me since the workshop to put out the recipe. And I'm like, I need the time to be able to d- make it in the kitchen and show you how to do it. Because if I give you the ingredients, it won't work.
0: Yeah. It has
1: to be done a certain way. And some of these things, like like with the South South American stuff, you get into like the chemistries and stuff like that. It's actually dead simple. The ingredients mm-hmm. are dead simple, but it's the um, it, it's. The amounts to a degree, but it's more about knowing what it's supposed to look like and how to make that sauce and, and when to do it. Like we Americans have gotten dumb on cooking on the grill. Like people think that barbecue sauce is something that you slather raw meat with and stick on. That is not barbecue. That is not how <laughs> it works. And no. I am not saying that because I made Texas my, my final home. I'm telling you, as a kid, I knew better than that. Barbecue sauce that comes in a jar from the store—you've just ruined good meat. Don't, man. I, I do don't that.
0: touch that shit. Oh, it's <laughs> crap. I don't touch. T- I don't touch crap. sauces anymore at all, really. I mean, and I'm really- not a leanest
1: with it either. It's just—I'm just, just saying—it's crap. You know, I mean, it is. Uh, I satoshi
0: uh, with you. I love it, hey, man. Great follower. I Hell yeah, man. He's all over yeah. the place. Thank you so much. The best place that uh, plebs and normies just go to beefinitiative.com. You want, you might want to put this up there, Jack. <laughs> it's beefinitiative.com forward slash donate. Just let me make sure because I don't want to say donations or donate, but um, that is the best place. You can do it with Bitcoin or with fiat, man. We were in Tennessee. We we're at that micro summit. We had people over $3,000 got donated. Yeah, it's beefinitiative.com forward slash donate. And we you go to the I am Texas Slim uh, podcast on YouTube as well and what you're going to find is you're going to uh, see a podcast that I did with uh, Parker Lewis with Unchained Capital and Jason Rick of Rick Ranches and he uh he's basically the first recipient of that grant this year. He will receive $10,000 grant and that's basically coming from the plebs. That's coming from everybody that wants to support the American rancher again. And so, you know, if everybody starts really funneling into this educational, you know, market access to a ranch is phenomenal. Being able to get people out to the ranches to see the animals, to see the land, to see how all this is happening, that's what we're doing. We're opening up the door but we gotta donate, man. Like I said, I got five ranchers right now that that are applying for this grant. We're we'll starting with Jason, and we're gonna go into stuff like uh, butchery skills again. We're gonna be able to teach people how to go and work at a processing center, a microprocessing processing center in the Texas Panhandle. He needs people that knows how to cut a cow up. So the the education is vast, but the ranchers and the producers and the processors are going to be leading that. But who's going to contribute are the consumers, the people that want the market access to this lifestyle again.
1: So let's do something here for all the folks that came in from the Bitcoin breakout side and sat sure. through all this and only heard a little tiny bit about Bitcoin. I was thinking about this, you know, in, in politics, they say when you just tell the side that's your side what they want to hear they don't say you're sending them tofu. They say you're sending them red meat. There's a yeah. reason. That's the good stuff, right? Let's uh-huh. give a little orange pill meat, though, sure. or a little orange meat, right? Why, when you built the beef initiative, did you come at it as a Bitcoiner and bring Bitcoin into it? Because what I've learned with farmers and ranchers, food producers, whatever they are across the country, is it's hard to get them to do new things because they're just trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And like you said, the average one's in their 60s. So when you're in your 60s, you don't want to change shit. You're tired. You're just trying to get through, right? Right. So bringing them Bitcoin and the new mode of marketing at the same time, that's two new things. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. but I think it was worth doing, and I think it's worked out really well. What made you come across and do this as a Bitcoiner?
0: Well, one thing that you, you know, knowing, knowing me, and you, you've got to know me, man, I don't do shit unless we're doing something. You know, I'm not going to sit here and just keep philosophizing. <laughs> I love all the little Socratic Bitcoiners that get to philosophize all day long. What yeah. I see saw with Bitcoin is I saw a form of decentralization that my grandfather taught me. It was based on community building, keeping your community strength. It was about peer-to-peer relationships. And so within Bitcoin, you look at where we came from in the beef industry in the United States. It is. It comes from a decentralized mindset. And used to we had a store of a value of a cow. We had store of value that our our ancestors, our grandfather ranchers could rely on. Maybe it was in the land itself. Maybe it was the cow. Something there was a store of value that they leveraged. Well, Bitcoin's the same thing. It's a new basically land. It's the new cow that can be leveraged in a way that is decentralized and it gives you the power of having that peer-to-peer transaction again. So what I did, me and my team and my uh, co-founder, JP, he's uh, he's kind of quiet, but he's, he's a co-founder with me from day one. You know, we're a technology company. Beef Initiative is a technology. He came out of retirement during COVID. He's fascinating. He's very good. And he's been in Bitcoin for a while. But what we knew, everybody wants adoption. Everybody wants to sit on their Bitcoin and get it adopted. Everybody wants to go up to a rancher and say, hey, do you 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 take Bitcoin? or you you know anything about bitcoin or you people expect a rancher to buy bitcoin the rancher is not going to buy bitcoin he wants to earn the damn bitcoin so what we did is basically created a technology stack with oshi and now we have ibex and now our code of course which is open source bitcoin is open source we've created a technology stack that now like i said up to this point we've sold between 400 and 500,000 dollars worth of beef through the Beef Initiative where consumers and ranchers can either participate in the Fiat world or they can use Bitcoin to peer-to-peer transact. I've got ranchers out now that have are now whole coiners because they accept Bitcoin and beef, beef and Bitcoin. These ranchers are now creating a store value. They're eliminating credit card trend. That's one of the biggest things that is 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 fascinating. It's a good entry point for ranchers. Mm-hmm. 3% transaction fee for credit card companies, no more. That 3% goes into Bitcoin. They don't even have to worry about it. They're not losing any money. They're actually saving 6% in the long run. So there's all a lot of little touch points of why Bitcoin and beef. It's a no brainer, man. It's because it's giving them a new store value. It's decentralized the way that they understand very good. And basically they can eliminate all these extra fees, chargebacks, everything. They can eliminate the credit card companies. And they find out that, hey, I'm not gonna pay more taxes if I don't want to keep it in Bitcoin on the fly with our technology stack, you switch it over into the amount of fiat that you need. So you're not trapped and you actually have market access to unchained capital, crowd health, IBEX, OSHI. You have all these innovative companies now that are now part of the beef initiative. We're building. We're innovating. We're not sitting here and doing a Socratic circle jerk on Bitcoin Twitter talking about when is it going number go up? Well, we're making number go up in many people's lives as far as uh, store of value, ingenuity, because we're innovating. We're going to run across problems, and we have this last year, but right now with our technology stack, I haven't seen anybody else that's done as much as we've done, has onboarded as many people as we've onboarded. Have got the adoption moving forward. Have built out full coiners. I don't know, man. I think the, the the ranching industry, the beef industry, the cattle ranchers themselves are going to innovate in Bitcoin in ways that we don't even know yet.
1: I agree, and I think part of part of understanding who a rancher is is by definition they're an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And if they're a family rancher, they're an entrepreneur that was raised by an entrepreneur who was probably raised by an entrepreneur. You have three, four generational ranches and longer here. And so they think like a business owner. Mm -hmm. So when you say something like 3% transaction fee goes away and you keep all the money, it's different than telling an employee that who doesn't really understand what that means. They intellectually understand it, but they don't truly, you know what I'm saying? They don't really get it because they've never ran a going concern. But the other thing back when I was running more conventional businesses and you get people trying to sell you shit all the time, marketing people, salespeople, you know, advertising agencies, the word incremental revenue. If you weren't bullshitting me when you said incremental revenue, you got my attention That's business that you would have otherwise not had. Yeah. When I sell my discount program, that's how I sell it. I go to a vendor and I say it's all incremental revenue. This is all business you wouldn't have if you weren't in this program. So. The reality of Bitcoiners today is it's become more and more a thing and more and more people doing it is there are people that if you say you can do business with A or B, A is slightly more expensive, but they take Bitcoin and B doesn't. They will choose A over B because A takes Bitcoin.
0: We're building a circular economy, right? That's, that's what we're doing, man. That's
1: incremental revenue, though. That's That person made a decision because mm-hmm. you were in that ecosystem and your competitor wasn't.
0: And that's what OSHI's oh, doing so well. You can go to the OSHI app right now, and you can find everybody where you're standing, except for Bitcoin. Of course, it's it's getting bigger. Tell that bigger. for me. Is
1: it O-S-H-I? O-S-H-I. Okay.
0: And what okay. they do is that you, geographical you can see who accepts Bitcoin. And we're going to do the same thing. We're doing the same thing with the Beef Initiative. You can go to the Beef Initiative, you know, within several months, you'll see every producer across the United States and the world, I hope, that accepts Bitcoin. Somebody asked what, you know, the payment server. We've used both OpenNode and BTC Pay. So we go back and forth. Both of them are innovating. But one thing that... It, that's a part of innovation. I was in innovation during software development, online software, the dot com boom and bust. We're, we're getting each month, each, each quarter of the year, something something news coming out. But that's what it is. We built relationships with all these different companies to where we're always working together. It's, it's a continual process of innovation. If we sat around and did nothing and say, when's Bitcoin adoption? When's it happening? Nothing would get done, man. It, you can talk about it till you're blue in the face and you can be the biggest influencer out there. But are you really doing anybody any good without really
1: innovating? Yeah.
0: How does a wheel turn, man? You got to move it. And that's what we're trying to do within B- Bitcoin. So,
1: you know, and, and, and so that's a lot of people do not understand how many folks we owe so much for the early days with yeah. Bitcoin. Like, one of the one of the guys is a good friend of my show. Well, you know, I'm John Bush. John yeah. drove around the whole country in a bus. They made a Bitcoin bus yeah. and they lived on Bitcoin. Well, most people didn't know what it was. The, the, remember the famous pizza? The guy bought the pizza for like 10,000 Bitcoin or something like that. Yeah, and it, it, whatever. It would be hundreds of millions of dollars today. And people say I was dumb. He should have kept all that Bitcoin. I'm like, dumbass, you might own one of those Bitcoins. You might <laughs> own right. one of those actual Bitcoins that paid for that pizza. Mm-hmm. And it was people that used it that made it work. People say, is it, a, is it a store of value or a means of exchange as though it can't be both?
0: It's both. And this is a good perspective. And I, this is how I, I had to have my own journey into this understanding and basically how I stand with it. You're damn right. I huddled the shit out of it. But what I also do is I find the best value that I can exchange it for because that is actually helping somebody else out. And I'm here to save the American rancher and to save children's lives. I'm definitely going to leverage some a little bit of bitcoin on a monthly basis that I find the most valuable protein and the most valuable nutrition in the world. You damn right I'm going to leverage bitcoin into that adoption to, for somebody else to where they can have the same store of value that I got to. And that's how people need to look at this. You know, is that the, you can't be selfish with this, man. This is all a collaboration. We going to make it, right? Well, we going to make it means we not you or I. It means yeah. we. So we, we uh, have to work together. and We have to transact. We have to have peer-to-peer relationships. We have to build these relationships through interaction. We have to create energy. We have to create education through iteration. And that's where a lot of people don't understand. But once again, I get to reflect about my professional career in Austin, being in the startups, being mm-hmm. in technology companies. And we don't get anywhere without doing anything. You think programmers right now sitting around? Do you think they just they, they, they sit on their code and don't ever use it? Seriously? <laughs> yeah. I mean, now I like to that. make
1: I like to make fiat disintegrate into Bitcoin. Yeah. What I mean by that is I like to find people that say, yeah, I take Bitcoin and use an app like Strike. Yep. Throw some Fiat dollars in there and say, How much is this? Two hundred dollars. Okay, so I got two hundred dollars in fiat space currency in there, and I hit the little thing and I scan a Bitcoin QR code and I send dollars and Bitcoin comes out the other end, yeah. and I haven't created a tax consequence for myself. There you go, right, right there.
0: Right? see, once again, people innovating into but, but the Bitcoin space. This, right?
1: If I pay that guy $200 in dollars, it's probably going to get spent re- relatively quickly to pay for wages or whatever. Mm-hmm. If I send him Bitcoin, unless he has to, most people, once they get Bitcoin, they go, ooh.
0: You know dude, the best way you go up to somebody and get on them there. onboarded? I so use that
1: $200 in fiat just stop circulating sure. at the rate that it was prior. We're slowing down what we call the velocity of money, mm-hmm. which is a huge part. Of it. People think inflation is just the total quantity. Without monetary velocity, inflation would be flat zero. It's how fast the money moves and multiplies. And every time you take dollars and spend them into Bitcoin, whether you hodl it or you spend it into somebody else's hodl, you reduce that flow. You reduce that use of their shit money. Yeah, and you put it into solid value. And yeah, we'll spend Bitcoin when we're done. I'm in accumulation mode, and I'm all about helping other people accumulate, right? And so I'll give you Bitcoin, but if I if there's any way I can, I'll spend dollars to give you Bitcoin.
0: And there's so many of I love that because that's, a, it's a great approach to that. One thing that I found as well is like, okay, you got to, you got to any, any individual say, okay, download this app. It's the moon app, you know, the moon wallet, M U U N. And it is one of the best wallets out there yep. for adoption, early adoption. And what I'll go up there, I'll give them $10 in Bitcoin and say, Hey, there you go, you know, and make it very simple in the very beginning. And people always say, hey, how do you onboard ranchers? And I said, the first thing you do is you don't ask them anything about damn Bitcoin. Yeah. (laughs) What you do is you go up there and you shake their hand and you look them in the eye and say, hey, man, would you educate me? I want to be your student. Get them talking about why they do what they do. Show some respect. Get some development down of communication. And you know where that conversation always goes to? It goes to Bitcoin. But if you lead with it like a used car salesman, then you're not going to onboard anybody, and there is never going to be adoption. But if you can show that, hey, let's take the friction out of this discussion, let's show that it's not as intimidating as everybody thinks it is. You know, everybody thinks that, you know, think about Amazon, right, and what they had to go through. That crashed eight times. Amazon crashed eight times. Everybody thinks you'd always buy shoes on the Internet. There was a time when nobody would even put their credit card information on the Internet. It takes time, but what it does, it takes interaction of iteration. And what you do is you go out there. You don't have to spend all your Bitcoin to adopt it, but you can exchange it and you can educate with it with simple little steps that create relationships that actually are based on trust and respect. That's what this nation is basically lacking right now. And that's what what do you do? You get to exchange some of the best beef in the world that's grown here in the United States and you get to exchange a little Bitcoin for it. Uh, It's a win win situation, man. Every every time, man, we were in Colorado. Matt O'Dell got up there in less than 14 minutes. We onboarded 52 people and were able to stream over a thousand. I think it was about fourteen hundred dollars to Jason Rick within less than 14 minutes. That's 52 people got onboarded and he had $1,400 in his new moon wallet in less than 14. That's amazing. That's adoption. That's how you make this work.
1: Well, so I think a lot of that is, is, is the optionality versus like forcing, right? Yeah. I used to train my salespeople with this and say, you got to make people think sales, a good salesman can close hard. Right. And it's really about making it easy to say no. So it also becomes easy to say Yes. And the analogy I'd give Imagine you're driving along, you see a stray ass dog. And so you pull over, you grab him, throw his ass in the back of the truck, take him home, shove him in a corner and stick food in his face. He's going to bite the shit out of you. Yeah, because you made it hard to say, no, this is the very thing he needs is to be fed. But you pushed and they don't animals don't like that. People don't like to be pushed. But if you lay a plate of food down in front of that dog, you just made a friend for life. 100%.
0: 100%. So
1: when you're onboarding these ranchers and saying, hey, we're giving you a new market for your product, well, what do you want? I want you to have a new market for your product. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That's You can have Bitcoin if you want it, but if you want dollars, you can have dollars. Well, well now you- I'm interested in this Bitcoin stuff where if you say, well, the only way in my program is to take Bitcoin and be a purist. <laughs> Right, you're gonna get your ass kicked. Go for it. That's what's gonna happen.
0: Yeah, just (laughs) cut your nose off to spite your face, man. You know, you got to be eloquent about this, man. You got to be sophisticated, man. We're not used car salesmen, you know. Take some time to get some intentionality with your efforts. And if you can do that and bring some character to the game, and, you know, in, you the, you know this, working with salespeople, the day you try to sell something is the day you're not going to be a good salesperson. What you have to do is you have to basically communicate the value of this exchange. And that's what we have to do as, you know, as far as Bitcoiners. You look at, you know, the reason you look at Bitcoin, you know, it's beef, you know, deep into carnivore, deep into the beef, regenerative, everything. You know, Cole Bolton, the k c cattle, he came up to you. He goes, I didn't understand why you started with the Bitcoin crowd in the beginning, and then he then he said, but then he goes. You're ingenious. <laughs> and he was talking. He goes, think about how many new consumers came his way because he was willing to accept Bitcoin. Sure. But he didn't force it upon them to use Bitcoin. He still takes his credit cards and he was willing to understand what it takes to innovate within a, in the ranching industry, e commerce, everything that we had to put together. He came with us and he helped innovate. This is the fun part, folks. It's the journey, not the destination. The journey is a blast. And that's what people need to start really looking at because it's a lifestyle. I've been traveling around the damn United States the last three years. I'm going to Australia, then I'm going to Thailand, then I'm going to South America, then I'm going all over the United States again. And we're doing it because people are wanting to have these conversations and they want their lives to be better. They want to save children's lives. They want to save the great American rancher. You're not Mm -hmm. going to be doing it on a circle jerk on a podcast talking about how socratic bitcoin is yeah. you're going to get your hands dirty you're going to go meet some new people and you're going to change your life for the better and that's what i try to encourage i come across as a smart ass sometimes but sometimes i get to her it's like okay people put your damn foot down let's go it's time so, to move
1: this is one of those moments that i get to have it's like a perfect moment because right. i've got one of my long-term listeners and i consider all my listeners students to a degree saying, well, we're talking about sales transfer of belief. And that is my definition of sales. You cannot sell if you don't believe what you're selling. All you're doing is tricking people then, right? Yeah. Because I'm not going to ask you to buy something from me unless I believe it's good for you. I'm going to trick you into buying it because I get paid, right? Because it's good for me, right? So transfer of belief. So he's, he's bringing that up in the middle of that. And then you were just exuding belief. Yeah. Right? And you don't see, that's how I used to train salespeople. I didn't train them to be good salespeople. Right. I trained them to have stone cold knowledge of what they were selling to the point where they believed in their bones that it was a good product and it had to be a good product to do it that way. And then you didn't have to do anything except get them talking to the right people. Yeah. Right? So that that's that It just
0: flows, man. It, it is life. Yeah, there you go.
1: Transfer, <laughs> transfer of
0: beef. belief of transfer, transfer of beef. beef. It's so yeah. true, man. And that's the fun part about it. Once, you know, we're going back to that 30-day experience, man. Think yeah. how you can change your life from money to food in 30 days, man. You can be the most powerful person. I always tell people Bitcoin basically gives you a reflection of yourself that you haven't seen yet. Well, beef is a tool to be able to get there because your brain starts thinking different. It starts actually, it's not inflamed anymore. You're not putting that industrial sludge through your veins and your portals. And what you're doing is you're giving your your, your a reflection that's always been in there, but now you're releasing it out with sound money and sound food.
1: So I think the other we need to wrap because two hours fifteen minutes, bro. Might be i going for a record here. Um, we've been we've been bumping those gums, haven't we? Yeah, but I, <laughs> I uh, you know, when you're trying to sell something, you have to convey that belief. You have to find someone that, that's that's open to a new system of belief. And I think one of the genius things about selling real beef to Bitcoiners is there people already discovered what real money is. Yeah. So I don't have to do that part of the educational process. I'm not like trying to convince you that it tastes better or your artsy-fartsy friends will like it better or you're caring Karen and, and you're going to feel good about it. You already understand that you want the thing with the higher value and you already understand the system is a lie. Yeah. So I'm from those two. Now all I gotta do just put you in touch with the person you buy from. Yeah, And then Bitcoiners tend to either be people that are smart and struggling or successful. So then yeah. I've got a segment of that demographic that goes, oh, this box of meat's an extra 50 bucks. I don't give a shit, Mm-mm. right? I'm going to buy it because it's a better product, just like I'm holding Bitcoin because it's a better money than the dollar. Yeah. So you've got this educated audience. All you have to, Now all I have to do is educate you to the fact that this exists and you can get it. I don't have to educate you to the rest of everything else, but I think that's why it's so successful.
0: Well, and that's what we're doing now, and I I see that now after this long, hard-ass year. Man, I've been grinding for really hard for at least – gosh, I started grinding probably – I think it was June of 2021. I have not stopped, but what I see now, I see a lot of people going, oh – Okay. Well, it's not that hard of an adoption. It's not that hard of a lifestyle. It's not that there's, there's a platform here that we can really help people out. And that's what's exciting now. You know, that's, that's what's about to happen. And I can see this taking, it's, it's going to be turned up a notch, but it's going to be the plebs doing it because people are starting to see just exactly what you just said. And so that's, that's what's, I mean, and, and we cannot thank the Bitcoin crowd enough, man. This is the only way that this will happen is whenever the plebs get together and they really do choose individually put their foot down and say, okay, this is the roadmap. This is how we decentralize our money this is how we decentralize our food we don't have to ask for permission everybody thinks that we have to we are the authority now and we need to start acting like it but that comes with eloquence and sophistication and strong spirit and it comes from being a very empowered individual so that's that's the opportunity here for everybody to actually go down that road map it's here We, we we've paved the road let's all go do it together
1: well, man, I've enjoyed this discussion, folks. I will make sure that there's links to all of 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 slim stuff in the audio version of this podcast. If you're watching the video version, you can get on over the survival podcast or the Bitcoin breakout about an hour from right now. If you're listening to the live, it'll take me that long to get everything pieced together, uploaded and, and published out onto the, the feeds for podcasts. Make sure you're checking us out on fountain. If you like what you heard today, I'm going to go in and set up a split text. You can get me your, uh, your your fountain handle and I'm going to set a split on this one. So if you if you tip us uh, or boost us, uh, stream to us in this episode, Tex gets a cut of the Bitcoin on the value for value because he certainly brought a a bunch of that to us today. And, uh, guys, thanks a lot for tuning in. Tex, thanks for being here. And, uh, I'm going to be on, I don't remember what the date is, but I'm going to be on your, on your show soon. And we'll, we'll talk yeah. about some other things.
0: Yeah. we'll we'll, we'll, uh, tag team on this one and keep this damn conversation going. Cause we're just getting started, but you know, and you brought up something, you know, 50 bucks more for a box of beef or whatever. One thing that we have to understand is every time that I I didn't clarify is every time you do buy the beef from the, the beef initiative, Parts of that money goes into that uh, Grant Foundation. And so Mm -hmm. we're innovating within foundations, nonprofits. How do we get educated? You're feeding yourself, you're feeding the community. And so all this is really starting to become that circular economy. So man having these talks with people like you jack is phenomenal this is how we do it this is how we take action so i can't wait until uh after the first year whenever we are scheduled up but uh into into the meantime though everybody have a fantastic christmas and make the beef initiative make this part of your conversation at the dinner table let's get it let's all do this together
1: Big, beautiful standing rib rack roast for Christmas. Hell yeah. yeah hell Let's with the turkey. It. I like Got turkey, but, man, prime <laughs> rib is the way his. to go. Thanks a lot for being with us today, Tex. Thanks, Jack. Appreciate you, bro. Well, great discussion, as always, with Texas Slim. want to remind you here at the end, you can always help support the Survival Podcast and the work we do by doing your online shopping, starting where? TSPAS.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z. TSPAS.com. Uh, I don't have an item of the day for you. What I'm going to be plugging this week and, and probably all week unless something comes across my desk here with a pricing alert or something like that uh, is the TSPAS Christmas gifts list for 2022. These are 14 items that have been the best sellers consistently for the six years I've done TSPAS. Collectively, we've sold thousands of these items, put together thousands upon thousands, honestly. Some of them we've sold, like the Anchor backup power uh, supply, we have sold thousands of just that one. I've probably sold 10,000 E-Tech City Lanterns. Never had any complaints about this stuff or it wouldn't remain in the catalog. We're getting down to the final hours with your Christmas shopping. You can always help us out by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. But if you go to Survival Podcast today and scroll down, you'll find that Christmas list. Just look for the Val logo. That's the Survival Podcast logo with Val with a great big Santa hat on. And you'll find everything, including a lot of, of the items. I have paired other things to make a gift package with them. Pretty awesome. Check it out. And remember, we now have Redneck Hippie Duck Farmer T-shirts in the TSP Swag Shops. Uh, They are awesome. I'm waiting for mine to come. If you order them right now today, you might get them before Christmas. I don't know. Lots of other cool stuff at tspswag.com. That's tspswag.com. With that, I hope you enjoyed today's show and our discussion with Texas Slim. And I will catch you tomorrow with another episode. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking about permaculture at the suburban and urban scale with someone from the, 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 the womb of permaculture, Australia. We have an awesome, awesome guest Her name is Claire Pato. It's either Pato or Pedo. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I I hate getting people's names wrong, but she is awesome. I've looked into the stuff that she's doing. It's amazing. We're going to be talking about a ton of stuff tomorrow. Uh, We will be talking about getting kids into homesteading, and we're going to talk about her childhood home studying in Hungary. She actually came from Hungary. We're going to talk about how she turned a weed-infested block and run down house into uh, a a beautiful, beautiful backyard uh, on a shoestring budget. We're going to talk about mushrooms. We're going to talk about beekeeping. This will be a fantastic episode. You don't want to miss it if you tuned in today because you're in the Bitcoin breakout feed only and you like what you heard today and you're starting to realize the bridge that exists between regenerative agriculture, proper human nutrition, etc. and the world of Bitcoin. Don't miss it either. You can find us where? the survivalpodcast.com Or if you're too lazy to type all those letters, TSPC.co you down